Welcome to Emigo Podcast 14.0C. If you wanted to hear some optimism about Nebraska and Illinois, please don't, t- don't, don't turn it off. It's okay. T- t- stop. Keep listening. season preview stuff we have shifted gears to the season schedule and we also welcome in dave nasternak for this portion of the podcast how you doing dave i'm doing good i'm dave <laughs> yes dave thank you well i didn't know if we were doing the introductions or i mean last time I, we were well doing... it's just that seth was on the previous two so ah, we, i see we've changed up the uh the the roster here because seth's in boston doing important boston things alex is also here hello alex uh hello <laughs> We're very. We're li- gonna work on this. We're very lively over here. We're gonna, we're gonna. We're gonna get better, guys, at introducing ourselves. On the, it's a very professional podcast. We didn't do introductions on the first two shows, so I didn't prepare anything. No, well, I just I figured that we should no- notify people that someone else is going to be talking, so they're not like, "What happened to Seth? He sounds so much more athletic." <laughs> what? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, speaking you know of your athletic gear. Thank you to Underground Printing for making all this possible. Rishi and Ryan have been our biggest supporters from the beginning. Check out their wide selection of officially licensed Michigan fan gear at their three store locations in Ann Arbor or learn about their custom apparel business at undergroundshirts.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Home Sure Lending, Peak Wealth Management, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Prentice 4M, The Nosebleeds, which is the Sklar Brothers' new show on UFC Fight Pass, and introducing the podcast, our longtime ticket partners, Ticket IQ. All right, so let's start off with a, a breaking news story that happened immediately after we recorded our podcast about the defense, which is the addition of defensive end Ayabi Anoma, a former five-star recruit, number four in the country, uh, played one season at Bama, got kicked off Bama, played one season at Houston, actually didn't play a season at Houston, redshirted at Houston during the COVID year, got kicked off Houston. He redshirted during the COVID year? Yeah. So do those so those years overlap then, so he doesn't get to count that like I don't I don't know. Okay. Then maybe it doesn't matter. I feel like he's probably gonna have another year of eligibility because of COVID, but I don't know. But you know how like that's what we've had to do is like you're if you're trying to figure out eligibility, you're like, Well wait a minute, he gets a COVID year and he gets a redshirt year, but if you redshirt your COVID year. Right. Yeah, I don't know. All right. This is something that has been popping around in my head. Because his, his addition actually makes a lot more sense if he does have another year. He does. He does. That's my understanding is what's been said. Well, that's good to know. But So he transfers to UT Martin, where he sits out a redshirt year because he's transferred twice. So you get a one-time free transfer. And then he actually plays last year at UT Martin. Six sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss. Is an all-OVC defensive player. Um, and then decides, like, okay... Now I can up-transfer somewhere and play with the big boys. And the next level is Michigan. Well, he was in Alabama, so it's not like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, I think the most obvious comparable in recent Michigan history is David Ojabo. So he's a guy who... Well, that's a nice comp. Well, I mean, just as a recruit, right? He was like a super athletic edge guy who didn't have a whole lot of experience. And you're hoping that he's going to be able to overcome that lack of experience in year two or three. Now, in Anoma's case, this is year five, and like 
I watched what was available for UT Martin on YouTube, which is a bunch of highlights from their playoff games, basically. And personally, I did not see a guy who I think is going to show up and immediately claim a job. Not even like a third down pass rush, like young Uche kind of kind of gig. Just because he's got some get off, but his pass rush technique was just, he did the same thing every time. It's like, I'm trying to get around the edge. I don't have any uh, uh, speed to power. He's not doing spin moves to, in, to the interior. And he also showed up on campus midway through fall camp. <laughs> so he wasn't here in spring. He missed half of, and it, I don't even know if he's practicing now. I mean, he just showed up uh, in Michigan's directory a few days ago. So it seems uh, pretty far-fetched that he's going to have a role early in the season. And it seems, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm skeptical he'll have a have a big impact. So if he has a second year, though, if he has a second year, this makes a whole lot of right. sense. Right. And, I mean, the one thing that Michigan has done really, really well is develop players. So right. he, you said he had one move. He does the same thing. That's probably not going to be the case by the time he leaves here, whenever that is. I mean, this yeah, staff and, is probably going to get everything they can out of him. They do have a recent example of a guy a lot like him who turned out pretty well in Ojabo. So if you can just kind of stash him away for, me for a year. I mean, Biff Pogey's on staff now. So he played at St. Francis. He's a guy who Poji's vouching for, I imagine. If anyone's going to be able to get him through a year at Michigan and possibly to a productive six-year, it's him. But just in terms of previewing this season, I don't think the Enoma addition does a whole lot to change the equation. Right, and probably not starting and you know, or even too deep. I mean, by midseason, he could be a guy who comes in as a weak side end on passing downs because – that's kind of hard to screw up in a meaningful way, like just from a what should I do perspective. Just go get him. Go get the quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, but not at like ten yards, <laughs> right? So I mean, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's doing a lot of sophisticated stuff in terms of like, oh, maybe I'll drop into coverage. So, but sometimes if you have a guy who's just explosive off the edge, you don't need to have that like in your toolbox. You just go rush the passer. Now, to be honest, did I see? what looked like an explosive guy who's going to translate immediately on the FBS level? No. And Pro Football Focus, which is now grading FCS, had him at a 72, which is, you know, basically a replacement level player at that level. So, you know, when Mike Dana showed up, Mike Dana was a Pro Football Focus All-American and and played in the MAC. And so there was definitely a come down from that, but he was still a really useful player and got drafted. Anoma has not established that level of production yet. Right, and if he even if he did, it was still at an even lower level than what Dana did. Yeah, um, so I'm just keeping expectations modest here, and I think that's enough on Anoma. Now we turn <laughs> <laughs> to Michigan's thrilling non-conference schedule. Probably the worst non-conference schedule I can remember as a Michigan fan. Uh, you've got Colorado State, which was absolutely awful last year. Hawaii also absolutely awful last year and is returning, I think, 27% of their production. And UConn, possibly the worst team in the history of FBS. Are, are they, are, have they gotten progressively worse? Like, are they going to be worse this year than the I, last couple of years? Like, I think they were the first program to announce they were shutting down for COVID or canceling their season. Yeah, they were and it was like, like, okay, that's great. Well, you know what? This <laughs> is, out. like, maybe just good for us. Well, their defensive coordinator is done. He's like, Is he on a leave out, of absence? I don't know what it is, but he's not part of their program anymore. He left like 
a week ago or something. Not a great sign. Sort of like, you know, the year when Michigan didn't have a safeties coach. I, that's what I was going to reference, in. but I didn't know if, like, it's probably probably not good overall. But we should talk about these teams. Colorado State is the opener. And they're the best of the three. Clearly? Not Pretty clearly to me. Okay. Even though they have all new players? Yeah. Well, some of those players came from a functional program. So Colorado State, they get rid of Steve Adazio, and they bring in... Jay Norvell from Nevada, which was kind of interesting because Nevada's also a Mountain West school, and they just ripped a, <laughs> a guy right out of a conference foe, and he brought he just put the program on wheels and took it with him. Uh, <laughs> um, so That's... the whole like depth chart is a mess because it's like half Colorado State guys who stayed, and then half Nevada guys. So, like, at wide receiver, for example, there are several returners who were decent, and then they've been pushed down because Norvell brought several guys with him. So strange. So like, now you're going to get, like... does seem like tampering? Like, it seems like in any pro sport, people would be like, you can't do this. But because college football is currently the wild, wild west... There's nothing you can't do. It seems yeah. like there's going to be now some people who are going to be like, hey, you're not a real Ram. <laughs> so... Norvell ran a decent program at Nevada. Problem is Carson Strong, obviously, he's not there anymore. He went to the NFL, so he has a new quarterback. <laughs> you should probably tell people who Carson Strong oh, is. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was really just, good. Just in case people aren't He was aware. Nevada's quarterback last year. He was really good. Um, they run the air raid offense, and Strong was the guy that was gunslinging it, and he got drafted. and So he was pretty good, um, but he's gone now. So they have a new quarterback. Uh, likely is Clay Millen, um, a former top 300 recruit. Interesting thing about Clay Millen is... Um, Don't tell me he's related to Matt. He's not related right, to there Matt. There we go. There are many Millens. He said interesting thing, and I was like, oh no, here he comes. <laughs> uh, his brother, uh, Kale Millen, also shows up on the schedule, and we will get to him shortly That's... for a different non-conference so opponent. So it's Kale and Clay? Correct. But Clay is the good one. He was like an actual recruit. So there's some talent there, but the thing with this is... I just can't get behind families who name their kids <laughs> all with the same first letter. It's just... It's inefficient. Well, and then you there's A's and L's in both of them. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like... What was like... Uh, what's his face? George George Foreman, or like they're all... George they're all named George. George. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so anyway... There's some talent here, and it's, you know, a coach that was pretty good in this conference. It's just how quickly can it come together, and it's probably not going to be week one. Yeah, on the road. Yeah. Against Michigan. Yeah. Probably. So it's probably good we see them first. They do have one guy, Cameron Carter, at linebacker, who Pro Football Focus loves. Like, they think he's one of the ten best linebackers in the country. Yeah. Well, why didn't we tamper with him? Because you can just tamper. I mean, we need a linebacker. Yeah. We do. We got two linebackers on this whole roster who we're not panicked about seeing. Yeah, so that's Colorado State. I think they have a shot to get to like six and six, maybe. Probably four or five and seven. Okay. So, But that will be as the year goes along. Much more interesting. Maybe a little bit like Northern Illinois last year. Or where... UCF, right? When we saw them. Yeah. Because or... they they, didn't they start like 0-6 and, and Scott Frost got them to like six and six by the end of the year? Yeah, and then that, that NIU team we played last year we thought was terrible, and they they won the MAC. <laughs> Surprise! So, so are you? I mean, I think the last time Michigan has played them was the '94 Holiday Bowl. I was looking that up. Uh, is that 
that was Todd Collins' last game with uh, Ty Law, and um, I guess it would have been Moeller's last game as head coach. But I, I so the this was the one thing that I thought about when I was looking at the non-con schedule because what we played Hawaii a few years ago and they're kind of the same, and we've played UConn. I don't we don't need to reference the one time we played UConn, but. Um, yeah, we played them twice, and we're like, this is way too much. How did we get roped into a road game at UConn? Uh, I mean, do you remember? I remember that they came for, like, we the... Had to, oh. They were struggling for the opener in 2010, because yeah. they were dedicating the suites, and the only way they'd do it is if we went there. I'm pretty sure. But And that was, like, three or four years later. Well, when you can't get UConn to open your stadium, you gotta gotta make whatever deals on the table. So the one positive I had for... Colorado State was that like I've never seen them, and if we're gonna if Michigan's gonna play tomato can games, beanbag games, like it would at least be a team. I would like it to be a team that I haven't really seen or something like that because it's part of the interesting thing about college football is there's so many teams and little traditions and that sort of thing, different uniforms and that. So like if, okay, if you're if you're gonna make me watch a game that Michigan should win by forty or fifty points, at least be somebody new like. Like, we play all these MAC teams. Like, okay, if they're going to bring in Kent State. Like, we've seen almost the entire MAC. We haven't seen Kent State. Like, I can, okay, I can get through that game. But I'm kind of done with, like, Eastern and yeah, teams I mean, that sort of continually rotate through. Like, do you have a preference in who like you're going to see? games? Yeah, or just non-con games? Um, well, not the best team in FCS. That's <laughs> <laughs> It worked the second time. That's uh, That's a good... Good starting. Uh, well, they point. weren't in the FCS the second time. That was their first game moving to FBS. That was their first game. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Michigan's really setting some records here. Yeah, really exercised a lot of demons with that one. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't mind playing the MAC teams. I feel like well, one don't play Army. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. To, Do anyone who play a service academy, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's just. I mean, every time we've played a service academy. It's been just like a seat in your pants. What is going on? What are we doing? And then they talk about all the practice time they put into defending the option, which is worthless the rest of the season. And it's like, only an idiot does this. Like, support the military, whatever, but don't play their football teams. <laughs> Period. Just mail them a check. Yeah, just, yeah. Just... I'd rather do that than have to, like, sit there and watch it. Got to fly over and all that stuff. Okay, so you don't want to do that. You're okay with MAC teams? I'm okay with MAC teams. Alex? What's the alternative? Like, I don't want to play. Or could you? I mean, like uh, an FCS team. Play somebody like in the mid to bottom half of FBS. Like, uh, well, so like where they talk- played Oregon State, right? You're like, talking about like, walkover games, right? Like, well, Oregon State was a walkover. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I kind of feel like that's a different Kansas level. Kansas? No, I don't want to play Kansas. BC. But okay, we're talking about like real non-conference opponents now, which is a different situation. Like when they got Colorado. For a one-off at Michigan, that was good. Yeah, was, I mean that was a. Real That's kind game. of what the thing I'm I'm saying is like. Okay, not, but you said like games that they're going to win by forty. Well, that was my reference to the MAC. I mean, sure. Michigan should beat most MAC if, teams. If we're expanding this, is like, what do I want the non-conference schedule to look like? Basically, I mean, since we can't really preview any of these teams, we might as well. Well, my I mean, my ideal non-conference schedule has Notre Dame on it. Okay. Every year, really? Yeah. Still. Still. All right. Those games are good games. They are. And you can go to a road game fairly easily. Very true. And it just it just means more to me. SEC TM. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd play Notre Dame every year. I'd have a warm-up against a, a MAC team probably, okay. and I'd go look for someone interesting 
that's not like Bama. Like mid-Power 5? Yeah, like the Colorado game is actually a pretty good benchmark. It's a game that you should win, but is a real game. Boston College would be a good one. Are you fine with return games then? For for those level games, you know, if you can get away with not doing it like Michigan did against Colorado, then I'd prefer that. But honestly, yeah, I don't I would rather have return games there because I, I don't I'm just kinda done sitting in Michigan Stadium when it's a hundred billion degrees out and you're playing SMU. I mean that's kinda my point. Right, yeah. And so like for the first game of the year, you're just hyped up because it's like football season's back. Yep. You, get, you get to see all the new players. You get to figure out some numbers. One of those a year is completely fine. Open against a, a MAC team or a... Idaho. Yeah, that you haven't Idaho's seen before. FCS. Yes. Well, recently, but they were. They were, but then they didn't have a conference, so they had to drop it to the big sky. Anyway, so yeah, one one opener is is good, and then I would play two real teams preferably Notre Dame, and then a team that you should beat. Because they did, like, the game. Utah home-and-home. Home. And that didn't go well because that of the timing. Well, but, but if they but yeah, did Utah's it again... a great team to play, yeah. And, like, if, if Michigan was not, like, a complete tire fire or in... Uh, or Harbaugh's first game. First, yeah, Harbaugh's first they probably, game. They could easily win both those games. Yeah. And then, was Britton Covey still at, on Utah's team? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. <laughs> I think he might be. Alex, do you have a... A non-con ideal or preference or... Oh, I've always been the you should just play three MAC teams. What? Yeah. If you win the Big Ten, you're in the playoff. There's no incentive to ever play anyone real. It's only downside risk. Okay, but that's... Don't you enjoy life, though? (laughs) I enjoy banking. I I enjoy banking three wins and not risking anything. I mean, I see that point. And I get... If you beat Ohio State, you're in the playoff. As long as you do fine in the Big Ten schedule outside of that. I mean, you're both right in this situation. I get where you're coming from, and that's if if your end if your end goal is just your end goal, I get that. I think my point is more like those fun non-conference games that you play against. Like when I know it was in Jerry World, but when they played Florida, that was interesting. And yeah, you can lose that game, but those matchups are fun, and those are the games you kind of remember. I don't. I'm gonna not remember most of these. Mac games, and then yeah, I mean, you get I, what you get like in the conference. I feel like if you lose a non-conference game against Notre Dame and you beat Ohio State, you're still in the playoff. You probably are, but, you know, then if you trip up another place in the Big Ten, then, you know, on and on. That's true, but if you beat, I mean, Cincinnati made the playoff last year largely because they beat Notre Dame. That like, is so true. I think if you win that game, there's a, there's a yeah, chance. Playing Notre Dame in, helps the probability you can get in as an 11-1 and one with, yeah, with a loss, loss to Ohio State. State. Yeah. So, and honestly, like, oh, the playoff. Like, you know, if Michigan's going to be good enough to compete with whoever the SEC sends up that year, like if they're going to be good enough to beat Alabama, be good enough to beat Georgia, then they should be playing real teams in the non-conference. I mean, that was sort of the, the hockey thing a few years ago, one of Red's last years when they lost to North Dakota and Cincinnati, was Justin Selman's quote, you know, in the press conference right after his career ended, he was like, you know, I wish I would have had a chance to play in more games like these. And that it might have, like, prepared them for that game. It's uh, it's very Dave of you to pull out a Justin Selman quote for our football preview. Hey, I I watch a lot of hockey, Brian. Uh, Do we have anything to say about Hawaii? Uh, Yeah, uh, one quick note first. Britton Covey is now an undrafted free agent for the Philadelphia Eagles. Good for him. Hawaii loses like their whole team everyone transferred uh todd graham 
fired oh, unceremoniously after a state senate investigation. Britney Spears, Mike. God, who could have predicted that Todd Graham would, was like a, a big dickhead? What? <laughs> Didn't so, you? I mean, everybody. It's not. He left. What he left Pitt after one year to go to Arizona State? Like. So they. Uh, it's a very low returning production team. They were actually decent last year, around 500, but they'll probably be a lot worse because the whole roster turns over. Well, and Bill Connolly tweeted about this. They have under 30% of their production returning. Nevada, who got rated by Colorado State, is the only other team. Yeah, since like 2014 or something. And he's got like two teams in his database who have had that little returning. And Kansas went from 3-9 and to 0-12. And... 12, and uh, who was the other one? Was it? I forget. I can't remember who the other but one was, but they, I remember they lost both like these four. Teams. They were like a nine and three team, and they went five and seven. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be rough. I mean, they lose nine of eleven starters on defense. the The quarterback situation is really grim. They have a decent running back, Dedrick Parson. Okay, about all you need to know. And it's a night game, so it's like I think people will be fired up because it's at night, and you. I mean, it's a good time. It won't be cold like that. It, like that Indiana game. Where you're sitting there and you're like, oh, it's so Honestly, cold. yeah. Like, that's something I hadn't thought about for the night game is that you don't get baked in the sun on... The second weekend. Yeah. And so, I mean, we did that for Washington last year. It was actually very pleasant. And, I mean, granted, that was probably a little bit better of a, yeah, game, a game. Although, maybe not. <laughs> that was a real game. Kind of. Took Washington two and a half quarters to do a yeah, whole lot. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. They did beat Colorado State last year. 50 to 45, but because both teams lost all their rosters, maybe that point's irrelevant. You know who also changed their coach? UConn. <laughs> all three teams in the non-conference changed their good transition. Uh, Alex. Their coaches. Uh, I I think this whole preview should just be us trying to come up with NFL players that played at UConn. Uh, Charlie Batch. Uh, no. Charlie Batch. That's the same answer. That's the the wrong Lions backup quarterback. It's Dan Orlovsky. There it is. I also had Donald Brown as a running back that unceremoniously ended Mike Hart's spot on the two deep. So the UConn, you know who's going to be the starter at quarterback most likely? Is this the other Millen? Well, he's in the competition. <laughs> uh, but it's most likely going to be Taquan Roberson, who was oh the Penn State oh backup who came in after Clifford went down against Iowa, and then he proceeded to go 7 of 21 for under four yards an attempt. It's not good. So, yeah, bad. So Bill Connolly has put out his SP Plus uh, final projections for 2022. Would you care to guess where UConn is ranked? Give me a number. Well, there's 130 teams. 131 now. Mm, 129. 128. 128 is exactly correct. They're projected you to probably have already 129th. Offense and the 122nd defense, and honestly, that feels optimistic. <laughs> optimistic. Like this isn't going to be playing Delaware State, except the halftime show isn't going to be cool. Yeah, this is this is really Delaware rough. State. There's a reference. Uh, the one thing to know: this was supposed to be a game against UCLA. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that if you want. Why would you cancel a game against UCLA? Because we were this? trying to play Jim Mora Jr. I- <laughs> and then he leaves UCLA and goes to UConn. We had to change the game. That's a great point. Uh, uh, God. Um, trying to nail him down, and he's I'm running sorry. away I, from Maybe us. he's going to be the next analyst my, when he gets fired. Your train of thought has been absolutely disrupted by the idea that Ward Manuel just has this crush on Jim Mora Jr. Um, say something, Dave. <laughs> 
I can't really about UConn. Okay. okay. Oh, so what I was going to say is they have Jack Stewart now. Oh. Ex-Michigan half offensive lineman, half defensive lineman. Oh, wow. He transferred there. Well, he's from there, right? Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, random three-star guy goes back home for reasons. Is he, is he supposed to play? I'm not sure. Haven't seen a depth chart. There's not a lot of reporting I'm just gonna guess on UConn gonna football. Because he's going to play. He's yeah, going to play like, more than their, their D coordinator's going to I mean, we should mention that their defensive coordinator did just like up and quit like three days ago. So not a great sign. <clears throat> Do, should, can we move on? Sure. <laughs> We're going to take a break, come back, and talk about Michigan's division. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle, whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. Hey, so I have, like, insurance and stuff, but I don't really, like, know what's going on with it. Yeah, it, your, your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy, uh, he's a, uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance, and he was like, yeah, your coverage sucks. And you're paying a lot more than you need to for it. I also like I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, and I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? <laughs> they have a website. They have one of those too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together. And you will save money on your insurance, and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto, and they do life, too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein Insurance, this, this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. I know you back. I saw your sister at the phone.
as mentioned, we're recording at Prentice 4M. Venue opens August 26th, and I've already mentioned that Chef Thad from Logan is preparing a menu. But it's not just one menu. It's five different menus. So they have a co-working space. You can go there, you can co-work, and then you can get something that is much, much better than a vending machine, which is probably what you get at your current co-working space, which is lame. You have to make me a promise. When you're sitting there in the co-working space, just getting the guy from Logan to feed you all the time, uh-huh. you actually have to do some work. I can't make that promise. <sighs> All right. It's going to be five menus. And they got an app. You can just order like at your seat. You can be like ding, ding, dong. And then you get like, I don't know, pickled grapes and uh, duck confit. I, <laughs> I I did like our old meeting place, but this just seemed like an upgrade. All right. <clears throat> See you there. Venue opens August 26th. All right. So Michigan's division is once again Ohio State and a couple of uh, other teams that look fairly decent when you look at uh, preseason projections. S&P Plus has Michigan State 15th and Penn State 13th. Uh, that former seems pretty optimistic to me. And then Penn State, <clears throat> they get P.J. Mustafer back. Uh, their defense is projected 6th. They have a potential first-round pick at corner and Joey Porter Jr. And then they have question marks on offense because they just could not run the ball at all last year. Yeah, the offensive line was the problem. But isn't that always the case? For And... Is there any indication that it's not going to be the same this year? Not to me. This is a team. So Penn State last year had a bunch of close losses. They had. There's some indicators that show uh, positive mean regression here. I like the offense where they get Clifford back. My only concern with that would be if he's is he alive. Yeah, the late stage, like last year with Michael Penix, where his body just was done. That would be my concern with Clifford. But oh, is he? He finished out last season, right? Like, yeah, he made it through. But he remember he cost him multiple games. Clifford's injury against Iowa, he wasn't at all a hundred percent in that terrible loss to Illinois. They do run him a lot. Yeah, lost Illinois is never a good way to end a sentence. He lost Illinois and they like failed on six straight two point conversions. That was one of the best overtime sequences. Was it like eighteen to twenty and nine? It was like seven, seven or eight overtime. Yeah, so. They uh, they lose Jahan Dotson, but they have two good wide receivers. I like Parker Washington, and they brought in uh, Tinsley from Western Kentucky. They had that video game passing offense, and Penn State swipes one of the receivers. So I really like those pieces. It's just can the OL give Clifford any time to throw? Can they facilitate a decent running game? Yeah, and I think it's relevant to ask what is their backup quarterback situation look like christian veyu yeah he came he in played against rutgers yeah and looked good was all right but so did brandon peters so <laughs> brandon peters is uh i mean he's a lot better than roberson <laughs> there's there's two things that i think of when i think of brandon peters one is when he beat michigan state with illinois and the other one is your quote my quote which was what which was before he really got to campus or was redshirting and you're just we're talking about how good players are going to be, and you just say, Brandon Peters is the worst, and then Ace freaks out and is like, no, no, you can't say that, and then he ended up being the worst. Well, I was was being sarcastic, because I was like... Or you were being truthful. Well, I was trying to be, like, supportive, because when we projected people to be good, it was like, they're not good, so... (laughs) So, the one question I would have with Penn State's defense, given that projection, they lost Manny... uh, Sorry, they lost... um, Brent Pry, who was the longtime defensive coordinator. He's been coordinating for Franklin back to Vanderbilt. And their new defensive coordinator is Manny Diaz, the coach at Miami, who Miami was like, 
well, if we get Mario Cristobal, you're gone. But if we don't get him, you're going to be the head coach again. Right. Which is... But he was a decent DC previously. I mean, he had a decent year at Texas, and then he had a pretty bad year at Texas. He's analytically minded and a guy who just hasn't really had a whole lot of defenses that he's put together that have really performed, like especially relative to the talent level he's got on some of these defenses. But, I mean, they should have uh, kind of a situation replacing Ebikite. Yeah, they're kind of Michigan in a mirror in some ways because right. they lose their edge rushers and they lose a really good safety. Do they just lose one? I thought they were going to lose a lot of their secondary. Or is it just uh, they one got, player? They got a, uh, a few of the guys back, like Joey Porter Jr., but they lost Jaquan Brisker, who was really, really good. And then those edge rushers were so important, too. So they have some questions. And their schedule, they get Michigan State and Ohio State at home, but they have to go to Michigan, and then at Auburn in the non Oh, yeah. So that'll be an interesting test for them early in the year. Yeah, I mean, is Auburn going to be any good? I, who knows? Auburn is I mean, going to be Auburn. Chaotic, neutral college football. I Like, one of my whole things on Penn State is, like, I, you know, Franklin sort of had a roller coaster tenure, I guess, and I, I think I, I like him there. You like him there? Yeah. You mean, like, you don't want him to get fired? Exactly. Because- I mean, he just signed a big deal, so I mean, we're yeah, probably not we're worried about that. that. But, like, from a matchup standpoint, like, Harbaugh's kind of destroyed him. I mean, they've won well, twice there. There was that, like, period where they were just exchanging blowouts either way. Well, there was one. I mean, they got beat. That 17 team was really good. Like, Michigan would have to. that was to. a Joe Moorhead joint. And then they lose on, like, the bell drop in the end zone. And those are the only two non-COVID times that Franklin's beaten Harbaugh. Yeah, and then he just does all the wacky frames Janklin stuff. Right. So, I mean, am I worried about, like, is he going to out-scheme Michigan? Like, no. Is, is Are they going to develop players? Well, they've developed a couple, but mostly on defense. I mean, and their O-line's never been great since he's been there, and they get all these stud running backs and wide receivers, and a couple of them pan out for sure. But quarterback play, Clifford's been goodish. I mean, McSorley was pretty good but Clifford I don't know he just he completes like what 50% of his balls throws a couple touchdowns has a pick and I give Clifford a lot of credit he is asked to do a really hard job and that's sort of my point is he's asked to do a really hard job I mean one thing that it just feels like Penn State's offensive line has been cursed ever since the Paterno thing happened because they had that that was like 11 years I know but like they had that year where you know Temple got a sack and a two-man rush and it just kind of feels like their offensive line has they haven't been that bad. But I but, mean, like, Michigan's offensive line was bad, and Harbaugh in a lot of ways fixed it by getting a different coach, by, by recruiting yeah, better. Yeah, but it just it's feels just like, been the same for Penn State. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so that's no, like... There's no real reason to believe that it's going to get better this year. And so isn't that... Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're agreeing. Oh, I see. <laughs> High five. High five. All right, uh, Michigan State is projected 15th, and I, I mean... I say this too often, but this just feels wildly optimistic to me because they're going to have the number 20 offense in the country. I think that is vastly underestimating what the loss of Kenneth Walker is going to do. Because if you remember last year's game against Michigan, Kenneth Walker was bottled up and then he would pop outside the tackles for 20 yards in a time in a fashion that nobody else in the country did. And that, that was a game where if Michigan State's running back is Ty Isaac, they lose by like 17 points. Right, yeah. I mean, or if certain things are correctly called, they might still 
also lose by seven yes, points. Yes, well, let's not let's not. No, get but into that's that. that's a big point because I think that that's a huge motivating factor for Michigan in this situation. And like, in if you count the COVID year again, like that's this. this oh yeah, I think they'll be ready for. They're going to be super up for this game, and it's coming off a bye. Like Michigan has a, I'm pretty sure has a bye before this game. So, I mean. <sighs> This feels like almost an intangible win for Michigan. Like it's just there someone is going to like <laughs> that that's just like have you woken up from a coma after eleven years? No, but it's like I mean, it's I, just I, I not it's like saying. remember when they went to East Lansing in sixteen after what happened in fifteen, like that team was really good, but they just locked them down until the you know well, foofery I think at the what's, end. You're gonna see is like Michigan's gonna be the team that has like the July drive. Right. Time. And is going to just be very like this is our game this year, the way Michigan State has been, right? And especially because like they have a ton of time to put stuff in, and they're not probably going to have to bring a lot of it out. Like save Iowa. like one, yeah. depending on how the Penn State game goes, right? So, and of course they're going to be running flea flickers and everything. So, <laughs> I mean that's cool. Yeah, I like that stuff. So Michigan State gets Peyton Thorne back. They get Jaden Reed back. That's and that's a good yeah. Those guys, you like Thorn, don't you? We were talking. I like Thorn, yeah. Um, and Reed is an awesome player. I mean, great big play threat. They have two new transfer running backs, uh, Jarek Broussard from Colorado, who had a monster year during the COVID season, injuries and issues last year. Jalen Berger also comes in uh, from, from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. He was supposed to be the next great, and then he wasn't. Right, and then. Wisconsin's running game got a lot better, ton better yeah. as soon as he was replaced. So, outside of that, the offensive line—if you remember last year—they had like ten guys that they rotated every right, like four yeah. snaps. That's not the case anymore. They lost a lot of guys in the offensive line, so they're going to have to have a coherent starting unit. Do they have anyone that looks like they could be a, a strong pillar on the O line? I'm a little skeptical. I mean, especially because because of Kenneth Walker. Their stats on the O-line are just insanely... Yeah, there overrated. were some issues last year that Walker made up for, and they also mitigated them by the fact they could just swap guys out so that no one was getting whipped, like, routinely, right? Someone does poorly, then you just run someone else out there, and it's a different matchup each time. Yes, I never really... So, uh, defensively, they had that terrible secondary last year. It's... I mean, MSU is, besides Nebraska, they're transfer U. Right, like everyone, I've never heard of these players. Right, this guy from here, this guy from there, and it's just kind of a matter of can it gel? And do they get another Kenneth Walker in a position? Right, I mean, because they won the lottery with that, is that going to continue to happen? I mean, I wouldn't bank on getting the Doak Walker guy <laughs> every year in the transfer portal, but uh, I think there's a chance that Michigan State is a better team than they were last year, but loses many more games. Well, their schedule is also very different. Schedule's harder. They had a lot of luck at times last year against several opponents. Um, they go at Penn State, at Michigan, and their non-con game at Washington. So well, they will get to see Michael Penix. They will get to see Michael Penix. And we have to talk about that secondary. Because they yeah. brought in a bunch of transfers last year, and their secondary was probably the worst in the Power Five. They get a lot more transfers, too. They have guys from the SEC again. Uh, Amir Speed is coming in, I believe, from Georgia. Amir Speed? Yeah. Yeah, Michigan recruited that guy. I mean, it just seems like... It's a good cornerback name. This is what I mean. Like, is, is this like a... Are, are we naming people because we're projecting what they're actually going to do? Well, remember that time when Michigan's defense was like steel, iron, sword. Yeah. 
all those guys. So the thing last year was they just seeded 10 yards on every play, basically. They played their corners really deep and just stapled them there and gave you everything underneath. And so the question will be whether they can trust any of those guys to not play with the giant cushion. I don't know. I mean, it feels like that's unlikely, right? Cause yeah. Cornerback is a spot where you either have it or you don't, and you can work on some technique things. But if you're if you can't run transferred, you can't run, like there's only so much you can do. Well, Michigan did that a little bit too. Didn't they sit in sort of like a three high at times and with like um, the open areas were on the sidelines, so they'd give up four, five, six per pass at times. But they also had a pass rush that yeah, mitigated I mean, a lot of things. Does Michigan State have that to cover up if they need to play their their? I mean, they have a couple team? of solid defensive linemen. They have t- good defensive tackles, as they always do. So I love the edges, they lose some guys. I don't know. We'll see. They draw Wisconsin out of the West at home, so that'll be an interesting matchup just to see how they can handle that rushing game. That's in East Lansing, right? Yes. And so that'll kind of be a sneak preview in some ways for Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I say this far too frequently, but I just, you know, you get the projections, you get people talking about it, and you're like, I don't get this. And then last year, you know, I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, S&P Plus had them essentially at Nebraska's level. Yeah. Like 33rd and 38th or what in the country, and one of them was 9-3 and three or whatever, and the other one was 3-9. and nine. And I don't know. <laughs> Feels like maybe that'll catch up with them one of these days, but it doesn't seem to. Well, one-score games have a tendency to go yeah. different ways in alternating years. Yeah. Um, Indiana... <laughs> I mean, they were ranked 17th in the preseason poll last year, and they by the time it got to the Michigan game, they were running out of a true freshman guy who I think is talented, but... So he's not a quarterback anymore. Yeah, I was about to say. Are you serious? Yeah, he's a wide receiver now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, they brought in a transfer quarterback. They brought in a transfer. Oh, that's right. They brought in this kid from Missouri, right? Connor Basilak from Missouri. He seems okay. I mean, he's, he has, he started for them for yeah, a couple years. The report in the spring was he was battling Jack Tuttle. And that should not be a battle in my mind. But You're on Team Tuttle? I'm on not on Team Tuttle. He's been pretty bad. Uh-huh. So they brought in uh, Walt Bell, who was the Maryland offensive coordinator from 2016 to 2017. He's running an all-screens offense, basically. Uh-huh. So they got rid of everyone who Mike Hart ever knew at Indiana. All their running backs, they're all gone. And they bring in all these like five seven, five eight guys who are just receiving backs. So it's going to be... So there's no running game. There's no running game. It's just going to be screen after screen after screen, spread it out. Way to mitigate a pass rush. I mean, I guess it just sounds like you're not going to be able to move the ball with that. And their receiving core is pretty depleted because Ty Freifogel and Peyton Hendershot are both gone. At long last. Yeah. Man, all the good names. They, what happened they, to Wap? I know. He was gone two years ago. So it's it's a different offense. They do bring back some offensive line pieces and Zach Carpenter, old friend, sliding in at center. Oh, they're moving him in, inside. Well, he was a guard, I think, last year. Yeah, he was. A, so the the thing with him and that the thing with the whole offense really is, like, can they not turn it over as much? If you look at them last year, I don't think it's super hard for them to double their win total which obviously they were 2-10, and ten, so we're just talking about getting to 4-8. and eight. But <laughs> if they just have semi-competent quarterback play for all 12 games, just like not the true freshman who's really a wide receiver. Well, and also, like, they were just so 
injury. I mean, Taiwan Mullen was out for our game. Like they were down to like their fifth string quarterback, and then like in the first quarter, Stephen Carr, their USC transfer running back, went out. It was just I don't even know how, if you're able to judge what Indiana is going to be this year based on last year because they were just probably the worst hit team in the country when it comes to injury. Yeah, and they turned it over a million times. It there were so many things that went wrong. The problem is they lose a lot of pieces on defense off of kind of what was the backbone of their really good defense a few years ago. Yeah, their defense was was good it last was, year. It was decent last yeah. year, yeah. Uh, Tawan Mullen is back for some reason. Micah McFadden, their really good linebacker, is gone. They bring in a bunch of transfers. And it's like I everybody mean, else. <laughs> say that for everybody. But like, yeah, and McFadden is a big loss for them, especially as a yeah. pass rusher. Because like last year, I remember previewing them, and McFadden had like six and a half sacks, and the rest of the defensive line had like two total so it's not good (laughs) thank you i was about to say the same thing yeah i think seth phrased in the hill of the victors is they bring in a bunch of guys which means a lot of their bad players from last year are gone the downside is they're farther away from when they were good a couple years ago yeah yeah well and they don't have i mean everyone thought Penix was going to be really really good and then he couldn't stay healthy and i mean they're not the same if you don't they have a knack for finding secondary pieces that they shouldn't have under Tom Allen. And they still have Cincinnati in the non-con, which will make their climb to bowl eligibility harder. All right. The the only thing that worries me a little bit, and I'm not like worried about this game, but it comes right after Michigan goes to Iowa. So, I mean, Michigan has their four warm-up games, they go to Iowa, and then the next week they go to Indiana. And sometimes you get like the trap game effect in that, right? Yeah. Because then the week after that is Penn State. So it's like sandwiched between at Iowa and hosting Penn State is this like annoying trip to Bloomington that Michigan has not always dealt with really well. Like the 17 game there was crazy. The 15 game there was crazy. The 10 game there was crazy. I mean, they've had a number of trips where you're like, oh, it's Indiana. And then you're like holding on to your butt. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, I agree. I, I, to have I agree with you. Yeah. Just the place in the schedule to me was a little bit like, oh, well. Uh, moving on to. <laughs> Here we go. I don't but, know where you're going. No, we're going to move on to Maryland. Maryland's like half a team. So possibly the second scariest set of wide receivers Michigan will go up against. Uh, Talia Tungavailoa is back. Uh, so he's going to throw the good? ball. Sometimes to his receiver, sometimes to the opposition. And then a defense that just looks like it will not be competitive for the nth consecutive year. Pretty much. The wide receiver core is phenomenal. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett comes back as their one five-star that they get. And then uh, Dante Demas and Jayshon Jones were both hurt for chunks of last year. They're back healthy. And then they got Jacob Copeland, who was Florida's number one receiver last year. How did that happen? I have no idea. But he decided to transfer to Maryland. Is he, is he from the area? I, I would have to look that up. It's very confusing, but... They, they've they got the the guys at wide receiver to really just spread it out and let Talia just fire it down the field. The running backs, eh, tight ends will have a drop-off, but the receivers make up for it. It's, it's the question with their offense is, does Talia have time to throw it all? Yeah, because they usually run out five guards. <laughs> so, and my thing with him, though, is that I feel like even if he had a good offensive line, he'd still have Shea Patterson brain. Like, he just likes to run well I and mean, like at some point you've been under threat for your whole career so it's hard to be like oh i've got protection this time i'm sure yeah i'm sure they'll make this block 
I mean, haven't we said this before about Maryland? I mean, they've had Stefan Diggs, they've had other guys that have been pretty good, and then every year it just ends up being, oh, well, maybe yeah, they're mean, not as good as we thought they were. Yeah, they do seem to start off fairly well, which is a little ominous since that's Michigan's first conference game. Yeah, but last year they started well, and then they played their first real team in Iowa, which is only sort of a real team, and they just got Did, destroyed. Didn't they have like six first they had a ton of turnovers or something yeah. absurd? This is... But like, if Michigan is coming into this game and they haven't found any solutions at end, and Tungo Vailoa does have time, and Michigan's not ready to put Will Johnson in, and maybe they're a little shaky, like, I can see Maryland moving the ball fairly well. It could be a high-scoring game for sure. But then you said on the other side, well, Michigan should pretty much i mean I think look the at problem, didn't they score like 60 points last year against well Maryland? that was a very strange game okay so but like there was a kick return touchdown yeah off the the, the pass the music city miracle <laughs> play yeah and then there was there was just a bunch of weird stuff the, Don, the donovan edwards game is what i always remember yeah the donovan edwards game the problem for maryland is they were seven and six last year and it gets everyone hyped up they locked down Mike Loxley to a long-term extension. Like, is the that prob- a good thing? Like, I'm not sure. The problem is, when you look under the hood, they weren't competitive in any of their losses. And so it's hard to take them super seriously when they got cooked by Michigan State. They got cooked by Ohio State. They got cooked by Michigan. They got cooked by Iowa. Like, right. they had no close losses. They weren't competitive against any real teams. And their bowl win was over a team without a coach. Well, yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying that they're going to be good, but I'm prepared for them to put a scare into Michigan. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, but I think it's, it's not possible. possible. Sure. <laughs> All right, fine. You're not a you're not a believer. I I was the Maryland believer last year, and I'm you're holding you're back with that this now. Year. <laughs> Speaking of believing, Rutgers. So Rutgers has the Rutgers version of the Michigan quarterback battle. They have Noah Vedrill as the steady. Uh, older option who's led the team before to a bowl game last year remind you they were five and seven and they got swapped in to the gator bowl when texas a&m pulled out Uh, and he's being challenged from behind by gavin wimsat a uh, second year player who was like a shockingly high recruit for a guy to go to rutgers they smuggled him onto campus way too early last year he was not ready at all um, he reclassified up. They, but, they smuggled him. Yeah, I think he came in mid-season. Was my understanding? Like it was late in the okay. in this, and they threw him out there for a couple games. Was not ready at all. But this year, another year under his belt. The problem for Rutgers' offense, if you may remember, is that they don't allow Vedral to throw more than five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And there are reasons for that. I was yeah. about to say maybe that's like a so Wimsat has a real arm, like a legit arm, uh-huh. and he could unlock new things for the Rutgers offense if he's functional because they could actually add a vertical passing game if they can protect him. Yeah, which is, I mean, I have no idea what Rutgers passing protection looks like. I haven't seen it in seven years. <laughs> they have some decent wide receivers. They do lose Bo Melton, who was their best offensive player by a mile, but they pick up receivers from Syracuse and West Virginia on top of Aaron Crookshank coming back. From Wisconsin. So, uh, yes. So the, the the running back position, I think, is going to be worse without Isaiah Pacheco, but it's just kind of a question of if Federal's the guy, again, it's going to be the same, just we're trying to get four yards on each play. If it's Wimsat, there could actually be reasons to watch a Rutgers game. Isn't the biggest... Just to see, because he might throw five picks, he might do something fun. 
isn't the big question, will Khalil Mullings play linebacker against them? Why is that the big question? Well, because he played linebacker against them last year, and it led to many a solid run on like read option stuff that Michigan just couldn't handle. And I mean, they almost I mean, lost that game. <laughs> I'm I'm mostly just looking at Mullings as a running back at this point. I, I understand that, but we're talking about where I mean, Josh Ross was good, and then he gets hurt, and they have to bring somebody in, and this and the second half went very very differently. Rutgers should be respectable-ish like they've been the last few years, three, four wins. The problem for them looking at at bowl eligibility is they go at Boston College and at Temple in the non-conference, and they draw Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota out of the West. So I think it's another year until we're really looking at them pushing for anything of note. All right. Uh, and then finally, the uh, least important team in the division, Ohio State, uh, Brings back C.J. Stroud, brings back Jackson Smith Najibra, brings back Najigba, Najigba, sorry, brings back Trayvon Henderson. So yeah, their offense is pretty covered. They bring in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State, who had the third best defense in the country per S&P Plus last year. Um, although prior to that, a pretty pedestrian output. Like he had one big year at Oklahoma State, and then. Ohio State snaps him up, but he's he's been around the block, and he had never had a defense at that level before. And then the other thing about him is he's like a three deep guy. He's a he he runs a Big Twelve defense, and I'm sure he's 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 been a defensive coordinator in uh, another conference. I forget which one. I think it might have been the Big Ten. So it's not like he's going to be wedded to this concept. But his one big trick doesn't really seem to go with defending a lot of power rushing like you're going to see in the league. So I think it's open questions there. What is not an open question, he's going to be much better than Kerry Coombs and then whatever they stapled together midseason when it was clear Coombs wasn't up for the job. So one of the things that Michigan was able to do in the Ohio State game is take their fairly predictable defense and exploit it. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Yeah, so Knowles's thing is, one of his things is he has what at Oklahoma State he called a Leo which was kind of like your jack-type player as your end that can do a little bit more and can cover and things like that. And it's not apparent to me if they have one of those on the roster because their edges are all just giant. Just sack the quarterback guys, right? So they still have Zach Harrison around, but he's mostly just a guy. Um, They have two five-star defensive ends from last year who are now going to be the second year in the program, JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer. I don't know if either of those guys fit that role at all. And so I'm not sure if they're just going to scrap the Leo for this year and then try and find a guy that fits it later. I mean, I think there are worse things than just being like, okay, you're a weak side end and we'll figure it out. Five star. That would be my guess of what they do. The other question for me on defense is it's a lot of the same players that um, really did not play very well against. Yeah. I mean, I think the coaching is is something you really got to look into though. Like, yeah. I mean, they have the same linebackers back who couldn't recognize where the hole was coming from at any point in the Michigan game. And uh, Knowles, by the way, is the linebackers coach. So he's going to be working with those guys directly. They did bring in a very odd thing. You may remember this. Uh, Chip Trianom was a running back from Arizona State that Michigan wanted in the portal as their burly back. And Ohio State took him and said, you're a linebacker. (laughs) Yeah. That's very strange. So, 
not sure how confident they are. I mean, that was guys. my question about the defense. Is like I watched them last year, and there was very little that I was like super impressed by. Yeah, I mean, and they were running out a true freshman cornerback who got absolutely torched by Cornelius Johnson. And maybe he gets a little better. Yeah, I, I think the schematic and coaching part should be a lot better. My concern would be the defensive tackles because they just lost their one-on-one battles repeatedly in the game to Michigan. Michigan knows what that feels like. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean that, and that's... Compared to Ohio State, Michigan's offensive line was pretty good last year. Right, but that's what I'm saying for this year, right? Well, I mean, you look at it this year and you're like, sure. maybe it's better? It's, it's a possibility, yeah. So they can clean up a lot of those predictability and other things, but if their defensive tackles are losing the the battles on the inside again... And, I mean, I know it's like a bowl game and all that, but Utah put a ton of points up on them. And they, they had an all right offense, too, but it wasn't just like, oh, Michigan got them. It was... I mean, Minnesota ran the ball on them. Oregon ran the ball on them. I mean, like, it was a consistent thing. Yeah, I just... I don't think we can overstate how awful... Kerry Coombs was. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of coaching problems. And we got real lucky that they Peter principled that guy and then had to scrape something together. Like, I, th- I think that they have talent, and once they are reasonably well coached, they're going to be much better this year. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And the offense should still be really good. But that's, I mean, <laughs> it's almost not worth talking about. No, I mean, that's just what they do every year. Right. They, they reload the wide receivers, you get an A-plus back, and if your quarterback is pretty good, then okay, well, we've seen that before. Yeah, not yeah, saying I mean, that, like, it's it's a good thing for Michigan, I'm just saying that, like... Well, and then Michigan in the, in the game, you know, Hutchinson has three sacks, Ojabo has the Ojabo sack at the end, and... And they they won the, the matchup on the line of scrimmage for the most part. Hutchinson, per pro football focus, had 15 pressures. That seems like a lot. That's the most they've ever chartered in a single game. So Michigan holds that team down to 27 with those performances from those ends. What does it look like this year if you don't have someone who's absolutely wrecking the opponent? In, that, in Columbus. have Mozzie Smith be able to do that by that point. There's a couple of guys on this roster who you could see emerging into that kind of just game plan wrecker. But Michigan knew they had it last year in Hutchinson. Yeah. And then with Ojabo coming through, that's just a bonus. And like, where is that performance coming from on this defense? Ah, I don't know if it's going to happen. This feels like if Michigan beats Ohio State this year, it'll be from the offense. Yeah, it's going to be an arena league game. That's what I. Sure. I mean, and I and I, but I think that's possible. Like this is this, you look at this Michigan offense and you think, okay, they can, they they should be able to score a lot of points. I mean, that's sort of like why. You know, you go through the schedule and you see the matchups Michigan has, and you're like, well, they might give up points to this team, might give up points to this team. I'm like, how many defenses are going to hold Michigan under 30, 35? Well, it depends on what Michigan wants to do, right? I mean, like, there was that Rutgers game last year, right? <laughs> when Cade gets rocked in the head. And... Well, and there was just a bunch of stuff where it's like, yeah, we're not really trying to score points anymore, so we're just going to run these reads that don't actually have reads attached to them, that kind of stuff. Those um, are always fun. So, uh, I mean, if they're really trying, they should be trying. This kind of feels like an argument for J.J. McCarthy, but that's another podcast. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, talk about the other half of the league. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people 
people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced, co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning licensees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's segment this year sponsored by ticket iq they've been our ticket partners for a very long time and they've asked me to talk about one of the seats that are out there on the secondary market right now uh i actually just want to talk about one of the games which is penn state uh we don't know right now if it's a night game or a day game uh we don't know how good penn state's going to be and the prices right now are kind of hovering in that 160 uh, range where it's like they think it's a good game this is the one where i'm telling you don't buy now Wait, because there's a lot of information that's going to come out. When information comes out, ticket prices tend to go down. Uh, you know, not just 
the day of where it gets rainy or, you know, where one of these teams gets bad. There's a lot of things that could bring this down, and I think we're kind of at the peak for it right now. So, I, you know, this could go bad. This could turn turn sour on you if you really want to go to the Penn State game and it turns out to be a night game between undefeated teams. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you believe in James Franklin. Banking on Franklin. <laughs> Anyways, I'll let you guys discuss that. What you should do is uh, go to Ticket IQ and uh, search for some tickets and kind of watch that and see where it goes, um, especially if you're interested in going into that game. So TicketIQ.com, and the price there is the price you pay. All right. So the other half of the league, we're going to start off with the three teams Michigan has drawn from the West. Michigan's first real test is at Iowa in a game that is rumored to not be a night game. We'll whatever whatever that. that means. <laughs> um, people are saying it's probably going to be noon. Like, so. how, how, like, okay, so it's game five. What? How do you know that? Like, what is that? Well, I think people are projecting 4-0 Michigan against an Iowa team that played in the Big Ten Championship last year, and they're probably like, okay, that's going for big noon. Oh, for Fox? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless Iowa manages to gack it against Iowa State, they're probably going to be undefeated. Their non-conference schedule is San Diego State, Iowa State, Nevada, and then their first conference game is Rutgers. I mean, Brady Hoke might take them down. <laughs> Not San Diego State, South Dakota State. Sorry, my bad. Then Those Brady games Hoke are competitive, though. So, I mean, that's one of the best teams in FCS, and Iowa could well be in a game there. But if you're looking at it, that might be two 4-0 teams, and that's big noon. So... The big noon is like the game now in terms of like what networks want. Like, because it used to be everyone's the sits ABC at, home at thinking seven about big noon Saturday. <laughs> seven or it's actually been a tremendous success for Fox. So yeah, I mean, I I would rather have Michigan play that game, but I mean, usually those big games, especially on the road for Michigan, used to be well, pencil that in at yeah eight p.m. at on ABC or whatever. So I, if. Fox has the first pick, and the teams perform like they should be. I bet that's big note. But let's talk about Iowa themselves. Uh, Brian, so they're Iowa, right? Brian Ferentz in the uh, offseason talked about how uh, his team didn't perform as well on offense as he wanted them to, and everybody was like, well, okay. <laughs> you weren't expecting You're a 3-0 shutout. <laughs> clearly not qualified for the job you have, and that's never going to change. So, I mean – Basically, the only thing they had going from the last year was Tyler Goodson, and he's gone. You have, you know, another Iowa quarterback battle between some guy and some other guy. Spencer Petrus. I mean, and Alex, Alex Padilla. Padilla. And we, and saw, we saw both, both of those them. guys last year. <laughs> and it's not like either of them was like, oh, yeah, this is. This I mean, is they rotate them idea. because neither is good. <laughs> no, and it didn't really feel like either was on the verge of breaking through either. And their wide receiver core. Doesn't have a guy with a hyphen in it, so it's pedestrian. <laughs> I do like Keegan Johnson. He was a true freshman last year, former four-star. Guys named Keegan at Iowa have done well recently. For me, if he can get open, that gives them someone that can get open at wide receiver. Which they completely lacked last yeah. year. And by the way, they lost two wide receivers to Purdue out of the transfer portal. That's ins- This is insane. That's, I mean, if you're well, a wide I mean, receiver it makes at sense. Iowa and yeah. Purdue's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of there. Do I just want to block for the next like, right. <laughs> two years? But they're still going to have that zone offense. They're still going to have like one and a half offensive linemen who are NFL quality. They're still going to have the most stilted play calling. They're still going to run the waggle on every third and four. Brian Ferentz is still the offensive coordinator. There is literally no reason to believe this offense is going to be not gross. I mean, and, they're, and their offensive line last year was not like a typical 
good Iowa offensive line. They had a really good center who's now gone, and the rest of the line was pretty dicey. Right. They have a tight end. Someone's going to emerge. Sam Laporta is a good tight end. Yeah. So. But that's not That's They've always had two tight ends. Right. I mean. I mean, two times ago that Michigan played them, they scored three points. No, the last two times Michigan has played them, they've scored three points. The ten three game in nineteen, and then last year and they scored what in sixteen? Like a, was that twelve points, thirteen? points? They kicked a bunch of field goals. Yeah, I mean this Iowa cannot move the ball. They can never move the ball. I mean there, there's levels to that though. Yes, and this is a bad. They don't have Nate Stanley. No, I mean they don't have Ricky Stanzi. Yeah, C.J. Beathard. Uh, are we just naming Iowa? No, but there there were guys who were like <laughs> yeah, those guys were better than good. Spencer Petras. Yeah. I mean, and then you know, so they win ten games last year, but it's all smoke and mirror. One of the worst ten win teams of all time. But isn't that Iowa too? They they do the Northwestern thing where they alternate years. I mean, like fifteen, right? Well, they then, go on I mean, that this run. This year is going to be like, and then complete debacle. You know, I, I mean, they averaged three hundred and four yards a game in twenty twenty two and went to the Big Ten championship game. Twenty twenty one. Okay, fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the preview for 22. That yes. was our prediction for, for 2022, 304 yards a game. Um, the one thing I'll say about them, a lot of their defense is back. Their front seven, I think, should be good, right? Uh, their DL is okay, but they brought back both their linebackers, who are all Big Ten caliber, and then Riley Moss, that guy who just hoovers up interceptions like week after week, he's back. Isn't he a corner, though? He's I a thought... corner, yeah. Okay. But it's a cover two system, right. so yeah, like they run a ton of zone. The guy pops up in the right spots a lot. It's it's a big deal. He's, uh, I mean, they they also brought back fourteen sacks from a couple of ends that are coming back. So yeah, they'll they'll still be Iowa on defense. They'll be tough to crack. I mean, Michigan in that game they weren't doing a whole lot until you know Blake Corum cracked him open, and then Michigan got the double pass. That was very early. That was midway through the second quarter, and before that it was... Well, and then Cade had a bad interception when they were driving. The the subsequent drive, they got a big uh, play on the end around to Henning, and then there was that interception where Eric All deflected a really difficult pass directly to one of those linebackers. And so, yeah, you know, Michigan ended up blowing him out in that game, but it was a slow-motion blowout, really. And I feel like a lot of that was just sort of... You know, they go into a collapse once they're down like 21 3 because they know the game's over. And if Michigan doesn't get those plays, you know, it just takes one missed block or, or one errant pass, and it's like 7 to 3 in the third quarter. I think that game just feels entirely different. Well, it feels different, sure, but I feel like more confident of Michigan's offense being able to eventually break down Iowa's defense or get something than I do like. Iowa's offense, like marching up and down the field against. Michigan. Yeah, I mean the the thing that worries me a little bit is that like it seems clear that Cade McNamara is the best matchup to go up against this team because it's a it's a zone, right? Yeah, and so he's going to read it so and make the right play. And and it's just people. will he be accurate? And what happens if he's struggling? Michigan's in a game against Iowa, and you're turning to JJ McCarthy. Like unless he's really grinding up on the ground. I think you could see that be an interception, festival, and then Michigan goes down at Iowa. I mean, that seems like the recipe for the loss there. There's, sure. I mean, it was all, it's always going to involve turnovers, though. Right, but I just feel like... You feel like that's plausible against this defense. Right. And, I, I you know, I think 
people are going to improve. Like, I think Cade McNamara is, is going to improve his ability to post-snap read. I think that's going to happen. But we're just envisioning the scenarios where this doesn't go the way we want it to. And it's pretty plausible to me. I think I was looking at ESPN's F, is it FPI, their projections, whatever they name their thing. And, and like, Michigan had a greater than 70% chance to win this game. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean... I mean, I, I know we're trying to like pull straws as to like how they could possibly lose, and you know that's and that's true. And Michigan hasn't had the most success at Kinnick. I get all of that. I mean, I just have watched that. I mean, we watched them play like eight months ago, <laughs> and you're just right. like, what part of this puts any fear into you? What? Yeah. What? And what part of it is going to get better this year? Like, who's your who's your star that's going to fix it? I mean, I feel like Michigan can scheme something against Laporta in some way if he's like the feature on that offense and then I mean unless Petrus becomes a running quarterback and torches him Iowa's yardage differential in Big Ten play was negative last year yeah I mean I'm not saying that this is a good team that Michigan should be totally afraid of but like eh, you know weird things happen all right moving on to Nebraska we've already brought them up on this podcast is basically Michigan State from last year this will be the second consecutive year Michigan plays Nebraska. Of course, last year was the Brad Hawkins strip. They're our rival now. <laughs> we get Everybody them every year. Cross rival, including the lack of vomiting. Um, oh man! I mean, they were they were a solid team last year that was absolutely snake bit. It's happened so much over the course of Scott Frost's Nebraska career that you wonder if that's just a feature of his program. And then proudly saying that fifteen to twenty offensive linemen are throwing up in every practice. <laughs> <laughs> was mean, it pukes per practice is that what bill Connolly was calling his advanced stat it doesn't it's just why would you say that even if it was true it's <sighs> not true because if it was true he'd it'd be like an osha violation oh well also like people <laughs> would just quit the team like remember that time iowa got rabdo once and this is like the equivalent every day for your freaking offensive line like i don't necessarily believe it but they always put together beautiful game plans. They always have a quarterback who can run. They always have some dudes, usually short ones at wide receiver. Um, and they have a new quarterback who can run. And they have two? Uh, it's going to be Casey Thompson. Yeah. He was Texas's quarterback last year. He got pushed aside for Quinn Ewers. Um, he was pretty good in the in the Big 12. I like him. I mean, that's getting a guy who's starting at Texas to be your starting quarterback at Nebraska is a pretty big coup. Yeah, and they got Pitt's offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who was the mastermind behind that really good passing offense last year with Kenny Pickett. So Okay, why is Mark Whipple leaving Pitt for Nebraska after that season, though? I mean, it's, well, it's, his quarterback and his best receiver are both gone. I know, but like... Is one program significantly better than Yeah, it's other? a lateral move, right? I mean, I imagine Nebraska's probably more desperate and could pay him more. Well, also... I think Pat Narduzzi complained last year that they didn't run the ball. And that, <laughs> how that, Michigan that could definitely be like a last straw for me. Like, are you, are you kidding? How me? Michigan State of him? <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about Nebraska though is their schedule, right? Like they get yep. Wisconsin at home, they get Minnesota at home. I mean, they do play Michigan. They do have to go to Iowa. But they get Indiana and Rutgers in the non-con too. So that's better than the other thing, teams in that division. The thing that's hard about projecting Nebraska is that they're transfer you now. 
So every year, well, Michigan State has an yeah. argument there, but I get what you're saying. There, there are many transfers. You years. read you read the scouting reports, and it's like, oh, who are their new players? They're all transfers. None of them are recruits. Everyone played somewhere else. And last year, they did pretty well with those kinds of guys. I mean, Samari Toure was a really good wide receiver. He's gone now. There's a new cast of of wide receivers. Um, and a similar story on defense. They had that really good defensive line. A lot of those guys are gone fresh batch of new guys are in we don't know who these guys are they're all from different programs so i don't know is is there a coach in the west you'd take definitively over scott frost uh wow (laughs) i mean i'm not saying there isn't an argument but is there one that's like oh i think jeff brom jeff brom yeah i would he's in a tougher situation and he's not clearly mentally ill i mean purdue hasn't exactly i mean they've been predicted last year they were good for purdue yeah, that's that's, that's what counts. That's your ceiling. But everybody's like, "Oh, this is the year," and then they get wrecked by Wisconsin, or they get wrecked by Iowa, or they, you know, whatever. They here's my answer. Okay, Bert Bielema. <laughs> it's just our transition is into Illinois. I, I, so here's the thing. He's I'm, a believer. I'm buying what what he's building in Illinois. Not this year. Is this? A, are we done talking about Nebraska? What else do you have? To no, say about I do Nebraska? have one other thing. Okay, we have to talk about the coldest nil deal. <laughs> I mean, we do. Come on, and yeah, Decoldus Crawford has got an HVAC NIL deal. And right, it's perfect. And everybody's really he's Decoldus. One thing I do want to say about Nebraska's transfers is that they are high-level recruits. Yeah. So it's like sometimes you bring in a guy and it's like, oh, it's Quavarius Crouch, and like he was too high-level of a recruit to be um, to transfer and not have his recruiting profile damaged. Do you understand that? Because he's like a top twenty-five guy. If you're leaving Tennessee, that's because they ranked you wrong. But if you're Trey Palmer at LSU and you're like the number 112 guy in the country you're recruiting year, or if you're Marcus Washington at Texas and like Xavier Worthy shows up and you can't get playing time over Xavier Worthy, I think those guys retain more of their like recruiting cachet. Their value. Because, yeah, they were high, high, highly ranked recruits, but they're also competing against five stars. You got blue chipped. Yeah, you got blue chipped. So those guys, I think, might be actually pretty good for Nebraska as long as Casey Thompson can actually get them the ball. Yeah, and I said this in the hot take segment, but Nebraska's schedule sets up very favorably in like the way it goes, where they have Northwestern, North Dakota. And Northwestern, by the way, is in, in Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> uh, North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma. But that's at, at, at home. At home. At home. And then Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois. Like, again, there's a chance they could be six and two seven and one and then the last four are tough but well but again two of those tough games minnesota and wisconsin are also in lincoln yeah so i mean I, and the thing is is like if you're looking at who's going to win that division you don't have to win every game no i i actually think the west is going to be like four to five eight and four teams this year i don't really think there's a team that's that's yeah, kind of what the big 10 championship game was going to be I don't think there's a ten and two or eleven and one on this in this division. Maybe not. One thing we should mention before we do move on is that they also got a massive uh, transfer at defensive end. So they brought in O'Shawn Mathis from TCU, had twelve and a half sacks in the Big Twelve last year. We should have so, gotten him. Yes, we absolutely should have. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, I make I try to make good points. Bro. Uh, so I mean, he's probably one of the best defensive ends in the transfer portal this year, and he. That was a huge problem for them last year. So if those riders here step up and that edge is big-time quality. They also have a special teams coordinator. 
that's we we do have to talk about that. There's always one more thing to talk about with Nebraska because if you swap Michigan and Nebraska special teams last year, Michigan loses like three games and Nebraska goes like nine and three. And and that's another point is like they got unlucky and you say is that part of Scott Frost or his program and and there's probably valid arguments to that but those are things that switch in college football I remember the year that Notre Dame goes like four and eight and everyone's like oh Notre Dame and they went like one and six in I, I literally did that you probably did yeah I was like oh Notre Dame but they but they went like one and six in one score games yeah, and then the yeah. next two years it flips and all of a sudden it you look at that and you're like oh well that's just kind of a weird year yeah and I mean at some point you so, can't go like one in five in one score games every year. Yeah, this is like me in Iowa basketball though. Every year I'm like Iowa basketball, this is gonna be it. Sweet sixteen, they're gonna break through. And you're gonna do this every year that you're here with Emco Blogger. You're gonna be like, This is it for Nebraska, this is gonna be it. Well, you look around and you're like, Am I banking on Minnesota who lost at home to BG and Illinois last year? I mean Hey, don't disrespect Illinois. <laughs> Speaking of Illinois, Speaking- that is the uh Third team Michigan draws from the West. Brandon Peters is no longer there. <laughs> but well, Burt is. He's there, yep. All right, the number one Illinois champion. So Illinois was not bad last year. They finished 5-7, and seven, and they had several close losses, too. Like, they were a lot closer to bowl eligibility than anyone thought. And they have a really good running game. And what I like about what he's building there is that they at least have an identity. If you're going to be like a bottom feeder program, at least have a thing you're going to consistently try to do. And try is the key word. They're going to try and be a really good running game, you know, running school, right? And so they return, you know, their their great uh, running back Chase Allen, and then the offensive line probably not going to be as good, which will hold it back a little bit. But if they get better quarterback play, okay. <laughs> Are you being convinced? Let's explore better quarterback. <laughs> So they don't have Brandon Peters, but they bring in Tommy DeVito from Syracuse, who used to be good. We'll see. <laughs> isn't, that, he, isn't that a lot of times what happens when you transfer? Uh, yes. Well, they brought him in because they don't want to play Arter Sikowski. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is the better Solid. part. This is the better part, bro. Um, they, a wide receiver, they have Isaiah Williams, who was formerly a quarterback then a running back now he's a wide receiver but he had uh, over 500 receiving yards last year and is a unique guy that they can yeah he is a, he is a talent he's a real yeah talent. and at tight end their tight end got stolen by michigan state but uh luke ford who you may recall as the source of the transfer controversy oh my god that was like six years ago from georgia he's still around and he was a legit talent hasn't bloomed at illinois yet but i i think he could um you know, my thing with Illinois is I don't think they're going to be a bowl team this year, but I just like what they could be in the future because year one was a lot better than I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's tough with DeVito because he started for Syracuse as a sophomore and then got, like, spot time the next couple of years. Injuries and then other issues popped up. Right. So, And I remember watching some of that, and I'm like, who he, he can move. You watched some Syracuse? You know, it's one of those things where it's like the first week of the season, you're like, oh, I'll watch anything. <laughs> Or I don't remember. There was some game that I was watching Syracuse play in the Carrier Dome. One year, one year of those years, they beat uh, Clemson, I think. They played Rutgers last year, and I had to watch that game. (laughs) It's your job. Well, I mean, you made it to today, so that's good. (laughs) This year, I've got Hawaii and Vanderbilt, so don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) It could be worse. You could have to go into an office. 
<laughs> you know, oh, burn. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Subtweeting. I mean, me. not, I'm not like intentionally. Well, anyway. Uh, their defense is going to take a hit because they lost their really good safety, Kirby Joseph, who was a third round pick. Um, and their nose uh, tackles, who were pretty decent. But, like, you look at them last year, again, they were competitive in a lot of games. They beat Minnesota. They beat Penn State. They <laughs> Gosh, both those games are so They goofy. played Northwestern at the end of the season and just hammered them. Like, that shows you're a cut above the cellar dweller, right? Like, they're not a 1-11 yeah. Illinois anymore. I, I definitely agree with that. I think they're 4-8 and eight or 5-7 and seven Illinois. Okay. I, I, can, I can get behind that, yeah. I, you don't think they're, like, they're not like a, a threat weird threat to Michigan. to Michigan. No, but I think long term, they. I think Bert has them on the path to maybe being a perennial six and sixteen, which for Illinois is not bad. So yeah, you're that's... so you're taking Bert over Scott Frost. I'm not. I, we'll see. <laughs> One more year. Yeah, well, this is make it or break it for Scott Frost. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention to Wisconsin. Shoot the perennial f- favorite-ish in this division. Uh, I saw an interesting tweet from Ace over the off season where he was looking at uh, Illinois, not Illinois, Wisconsin's line yards over the past several years, and the only time they're actually good is when they had uh, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, so Jonathan Taylor, he's not there anymore. I know, <laughs> may have uh, obscured some. Uh, losses in their overall offensive line competence, although they did find a running back midway through last year, and they improved a great deal after that. Yeah, Braylon Allen was really good. They they got rid of Jalen Berger for off-the-field reasons, and then once they found Braylon Allen, they disappeared Ches Malusi for the most part, and they just rode Allen the rest of the way. Who did not play well against Michigan, by the way. A guy named Ches. I just can't. Like, he can be a fullback. Would you rather Absolutely. have Dick Coldest? Yeah, I mean, DeColdis, obviously, but a guy named Chez, just, and then, like, the Italian last name. It's just never going to happen for that guy. <laughs> so, uh, but Braylon Allen should be really good, I think. And uh, the problem is... They return Mertz? Yeah, it's not clear if that's a good thing or not. Well, and has has it been a good thing yet? I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, last year he was bad was, against Michigan. He was bad against... Well, he had that one drive against Michigan. He made two passes. They were two really good passes. They better have been, because I mean, that that's was all a, he had. That was closer to the Hornybrook experience, right? Where he would just no. like throw out a few daggers occasionally. He threw two passes and had nothing else. Hornybrook had a really a pretty solid game in 17. Well, here's Jim Poles in reporting in the Wisconsin State Journal. I think Mertz has made strides, but it's certainly not a massive jump by any means. Well, that's not a good sign. And he last year he was throwing to like all senior and fifth year receivers, and they're all gone now, also including not a good including side. Ferguson the the tight end. So I don't know about this. So I I didn't think Mertz was good in the biggest games against Michigan, Minnesota, Notre Dame, and Penn State. And even if he had a nice little well, between fumbling Michigan, on the goal line against Penn State, but between Michigan and Minnesota, he was better but those were like mediocre teams and i mean you're gonna have to win some of those games if you're gonna get sacrificed by the big 10 east champion and the defense is a similar story where their linebackers who were really the core of their defense last year take a big hit with only her big back and i mean they just have a factory there, that's though. the thing and they still is the factory Leonard. restocked or yes <laughs> there we go they're probably gonna win at least eight games like but i i'm questionable if it's gonna be more than that i'm i guess 
Jim Leonard is just content waiting to be the next Wisconsin head coach. I hope I, he has to wait a long time. I don't know how he hasn't been just given the job because Paul Christ coaches the quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made that point to me earlier. Yes, it's. I don't know at what point when you as a head coach realize that the thing that's killing your program is the thing you are responsible for. Well, I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah. Um, and then their defense is just year in, year out, excellent, and they get a bunch of so now they're Iowa walk on. So the reason I'm skeptical about them in Indy is they draw Ohio State and Michigan State on the road out of the East, right? And they can beat, and they go at Iowa and at Nebraska. They got a tough road schedule. Yeah, that's that's pretty for a quarterback that no one is sold on. And one of the weirder non-conference games they host Wazoo. So I was like looking through because of. A different Very player random. I was wanting to look up, and someone has, I can't remember if it's Walter Football or something, that has Wazoo's quarterback going in the first round next year. I had not seen that. Just so, like Nate Stanley. Huh? Just like Nate Stanley. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was the Wisconsin, now the, the Minnesota quarterback? Mitch Leidner. Mitch Leidner. <laughs> There's always just one just off-the-wall quarterback ranking that somebody makes, the NFL guys make, and everyone who watches college football is like no. So speaking of Minnesota, have you heard the PJ Fleck Jerry Kill beef that's going on right now? Oh, I have not. Yeah, so Jerry Kill is back in the coaching business and I'm trying to remember who he's head coach of now, but they play Minnesota. And Well, isn't that Wyoming? Let me look. It's it's a kind of a rinky dink school. Uh New Mexico State. That's right. Well that's that's, that's kind of low level. Yeah. That's about as low as it gets. Uh, but he's supposed to be, they're playing Minnesota this year, and he was talking about how he doesn't really like P.J. Fleck, and he said, like, I'm not taking him out to dinner. <laughs> like, I, I'll be lucky if I shake his hand. I mean, I completely understand that. <laughs> you you also feel the same way about Fleck? No, I don't feel the same way about Fleck necessarily, but I know, like, I just, you know, Jerry Kill's vibe and P.J. Fleck's just vibe. just very different like, vibes. The la- I did want to touch on one last thing before we get away from Wisconsin. Remember when they got that really good good tackle out of Michigan. Yes. H- yeah. Has he even played? I think he's supposed to be the starter this year. He, he is? Sixth because man last year. But this is like year what for him? Like four? I mean, that's what Wisconsin does, though. Right, but he was like top 10 he in the like country. He was like a five-star out of Grand in the Rapids, country. right? Yeah. yeah. I remember I knew people that were like, if Harbaugh doesn't get him, it's time to fold the program. Was that Brian? No, oh. that was other people. You were... but that, that was like it back when Nolan Ulysio was starting at tackle. I remember... Like when we needed tackle. I remember like after that Wisconsin game in 2018, and I ended up sitting near you, Brian, and after the game, you were incensed, and you were like, if Harbaugh doesn't go to Brown, Brown right? I think his name is Logan, Logan Brown, Brown. And say, do you want to play for this? Like, I am like angry about that and i and but so now and i get it because like he was a really high-end tackle and michigan needed tackles but he hasn't even seen the field in four years at for a top 20 guy well so this will be his fourth year yeah he's, a, so he's been a spot starter but remember swing man who was guy. their left tackle last year that just kept getting tyler beach yeah yeah i mean we 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 watched that game and he was a turnstile yeah i mean it's, i'm not gonna like it's tough for t- for tackles to like break through yeah real early um so, Minnesota? <laughs> they get Tanner Morgan back somehow. Really? That's insane. Yeah, and they're bringing back uh, Kirk Soroka, the old uh, offensive coordinator who left, and now he's back. Their passing game just plummeted without him. And Well, I think a large part of that is that they were really on the leading edge of all the RPO stuff. Yeah. 
and they weren't able to evolve away from that once defenses evolved answers to it. Also hurt that they lost Rashad Bateman during that period. They had like three or four NFL wide receivers, and I'm not sure that they have any now. Yeah, yeah. probably not. I mean, that's probably. a big difference. Yeah, that was one of the strangest like subplots of the last like five like years. Altman like Bell, like, right? Got uh, he's, he's still there. Altman Bell is. He's pretty yes. solid. He's like, decent. Who Who am I thinking of? The, who did Who did they face? Michigan face in that COVID year that Rashad Bateman. Yeah, oh, that Rashad was Bateman. Bateman and there okay. was another like first round NFL guy like the year before. Yeah, uh, Mo Ibrahim is back for Minnesota, back healthy. He should be one of the better backs in the conference. They're rebuilding the offensive line, though. It was one of the better offensive lines in the Big Ten, and they only have one starter back. They're plugging in old friend Chuck Filianga, as well as a Notre Dame transfer, so we'll see about that. I mean, Filianga is perfect for what they want to do. filele has gone. filele has gone. gone. I'm still disappointed Michigan didn't recruit him. He was an NFL draft pick. Like he was such a weird, interesting dude, and I was like, Let's but they've also had. I mean, I can't complain during... about their offensive line. That's true, but I mean, but like, what a year for them! Like they they lose at home to Bowling Green, like not a great Bowling Green team, and they lose at home to Illinois, and I think they scored 16 points in those games combined. But then they scored 31 on Ohio State, and like remember that's a game for like three quarters, and then. They beat Wisconsin in a game that Craig swore to me Minnesota had no shot to win. I mean, well, that's that's if you can't trust Craig Ross. Trust. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. But the the other side of it is like this is what what kind of brought the the Scott Frost question up is like I mean are we sold on Fleck like he's he's doing okay there. I'm I'm not saying that he's won a lot more games than Scott Frost has. Okay, yeah, that's also Minnesota, and their their defense last year was excellent. It was really good and. When has that ever happened before? Well, okay, and you said that it's supposed to be good this year again. Well, they lost they lost Mafe, and that's a big deal because he was their edge guy. They lost a couple defensive tackles, and they're plugging him. Six points against Illinois? I, mean, what are, I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, okay, Richrod had nothing in 2008, but you still have to beat Toledo. Okay, but Illinois is not Toledo. Like That Bowling Green team was Bowling really Green. bad. Bowling Green, okay, okay. So they that's four two and eight. of them. <clears throat> All right, I mean... At home. Oh, <laughs> I understand. But they had a real defense last year. They lost Mo Ibrahim. That's a big deal. I think that... They did lose him? Well, they lost him oh, last year. in the season. season. Okay. He's back this year. Well, that's... A, yeah, all right. And I, I love Ibrahim. I think he's... Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. awesome. And so if they can plug in these two transfers and kind of keep that offensive line rolling, you know, they'll be decent enough to, like, get to a bowl game, go 7-5, to five, that kind of thing. Yeah, their, their schedule is a little tough. They go at Michigan State, at Penn State, at Nebraska, at Wisconsin. Yeah, those will, those will be difficult. <laughs> a little better than Bowling Green in Illinois. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, Purdue is the last interesting team to talk about here. They bring back Aiden O'Connell. Uh, He's they, really good. You're really high on him. A lot of people are really high on him. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, he ripped Michigan State apart. They Well, a lot of people did that. Like George Karlaftis is gone, David Bell is gone. Um, they need to find some guys to plug in at wide receiver. Apparently, they've raided Iowa's yep, roster, two from Iowa, which doesn't seem like is the that an upgrade? Most satisfying idea if you're a Purdue fan. Let's go get the guys that can't get open. They still have Payne Durham though, and he'll be competing with Eric Hall for first team All Big Ten. He won't be. <laughs> he shouldn't be. Let me say that. Like he'll. I'm guessing he'll get more targets in, in reception than actually get it because Michigan just has everybody to throw to this year. Yeah, I mean, that's a different question. but 
Anyway, we have. Here's my thing about Purdue. We haven't played them in like five years. That's yeah. That's we haven't true. played them since that like ninety-five degree day in 2017. Wilton Spate's neck was crunched. Yeah, oh, yeah where they didn't John have. John O'Corn was like, "I'm a good quarterback," and Brian's like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> I was like, and then he was. It was like the opposite of John Runyon against Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> where he's like, I'm going to be bad, like, but I'm secretly good. We're, we're screwed. And then by the end of the season, I'm like, is this a, is this guy all Big Ten? Oh, he got drafted. Yeah, no. I mean, he, he had like three more years after that. I think he was a redshirt freshman against that Notre Dame game, and then he was around for three more years. No, that was 18. Yeah, no. Was he, had, yeah, he was older. He was yeah. Older. Well, he still had more time after that. He did. Yeah, he had another year where he was all Big Ten. Yeah. I, I mean... I don't have much to say about Purdue. They're not on the schedule. But they should be seven and five or something. I, just yeah. like everyone else in this division. All of these teams, I don't really believe in any of them. But we're someone saving, has to win the division. We're saving the one that you believe in for last. Yeah, Northwestern. And <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to talk about them at all. They're Northwestern. I have, I have three <laughs> things to say. Okay. They lost their really really good safety to Notre Dame. Yeah, that was the ultimate bone moment for Northwestern fans. They maybe have the best left tackle in the country. Probably not in the country, but he's pretty good. He's like a first-round pick. Peter Skaronsky. Yeah. How does this keep happening? They had like another guy like a couple years ago who was a first-round like right tackle. Uh, they had a really good corner. And they had too. a first-round corner yeah. for the first time in the And then they just program. alternate years, like the Iowa thing. Well, yeah, well, we're back on the even, right. even year. So, so now they're going to come out 10 of and 2 Northwestern. Here we come. like six overtime games. What was the last year they had like solid QB play? Kane Coulter? <laughs> Well, the COVID year they or had Trevor, um, Trevor Simeon, his one game in Michigan Stadium in twenty twelve. Who did they have in the COVID year where they went to the Big Ten Championship game? He was. Uh, I don't know. Didn't I mean? Let me look. People played like four games that year. Um, COVID year doesn't mean anything. It was a fake season, but uh, let's see what was his making name? up rules midway through so Ohio State can go to the Big Ten Championship game. Peyton Ramsey, he wasn't bad. Okay, but that's like a one-off. Yeah, he was a transfer Indiana from Indiana, transfer. but. But, like, the last time they had consistently good quarterback plays when they were alternating Kane Coulter and Trevor Simeon. That's a long time ago. That's like 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, but Simeon hung on as a fringe NFL quarterback for a long time. So I mean, he's, I was watching some preseason the other day, and he's, like, watching, and he's like playing, and I was like, oh, you're still in the league. Yeah, so that's, that's the last time. I mean, they brought in Hunter Johnson. <laughs> but he was one of those guys that was just clearly overrated, right? Because well, he I was just, gonna I just go remember to... watching like this Hunter Johnson Brandon Peters high school game. And yeah, I was like, Brandon Peters looks better than this guy, and that was true. Yes, <laughs> and that's saying things on it's multiple still levels. Still true that Brandon Peters is better than Hunter Johnson. I mean, they have the Helensky guy too, who is a decent transfer. It's the quarterbacks they get just don't work out. But they'll probably beat Iowa this year. Something like that. I mean, one one big thing back to Purdue is that they have no running game. But that's their thing. I know, but like, there's we have a guy who can get 80 yards every once in a while, and then there's what they did last year, where they couldn't get to three yards a carry except against UConn, which doesn't which count. bodes well for Michigan. <laughs> I mean, it bodes well for that. So like, if they can have any sort of ability to run play action, I think Aiden O'Connell is going to be really good. But you don't need to run the ball to be good at play action. I mean, the NFL I think you need to be able to keep guys honest if you're actually going to have a a good offense. But usually, I mean, it isn't the play action thing based on cues on the guards, and so it's not really if they can run the ball or not. Well, it's just like if the guards are pulling and trying to pull you in to to get, and you're not worried about the run game, you're not going to suck guys up, and then those middle of the field routes aren't going to be. I mean, maybe it's different in college. I just think that there were studies done in the NFL where you don't 
if you don't have a running game, but you can still have effective play action. Well, I think the margins are smaller in the NFL. So, like, even an NFL team that doesn't have an effective run game still has, like, some really good running back. Yeah. Running Who, if you give him a hole, he's going to go right, four yeah. yards. Yeah. That's Purdue's fair. totally different level of inept on the ground. So I think that's going to hold them back, even if they have the best quarterback in the division, probably. By default. But anyway, we, was there more things to say about Northwestern? No. <laughs> Great. Quick answer. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, wrap it all up. If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. Jonathan is a proud graduate of the Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School and looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
Seth, give me your hottest take. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. Oh. Do I have to respond it's in English or can I just do whatever? No, you got now. We're, now we're now we're back to the English. All right, here we go. The transfer portal is overrated. Okay. In what way? Because everyone is like talking about, oh my god, look how Michigan State built their team last year and they they turned it around. They turned it an eleven win team right. in like one year. Yeah. Well, you're not gonna find Kenneth Walker this, you know, the Some, second back of Wake yeah, Forest. Wake Forest's backup running back. <laughs> exactly. That's not going to happen usually. <laughs> usually, I, there's, it's a lot more of a crapshoot than people realize. Like, Maybe. Dalen Baldwin was the second or third highest ranked uh, transfer into the Big Ten last year. And, like, that was a guy Ohio State wanted. It was a guy Michigan wanted. He was a pretty decent wide receiver. But he wasn't, like, all world. Didn't make an impact. Doesn't Yeah. And most of the time, that's what happens. Those guys, like, in a new context against – a different level of competition. You're lucky to get a Mike Dana, and like people, Mike who, Dana was drafted. Like he was, he was dra- a good player, you, but you're lucky to get a Mike Dana. Okay, most of the time you're going to just get a. And he, Dana was good in, a, in his context too. He's not like an all worlder either. Even though he like had the highest PFF grade, he was, he was of all pass rushers. He had a forklift he was carrying around people with. I, he was but a good Seth. player, but I'm saying that you're. But that's the high end. That's okay. what. That's like that's Seth, the. But, and a lot of these guys don't work out. Look at Michigan State's second. All right, let, let the man talk. Yes. <laughs> Seth. Two players, the quarterback from, the, from Oklahoma who's now on USC and the receiver from Pittsburgh who's now on USC, I think those are two going to be two impact players immediately. Yeah, but they they're not in the Big Ten the yet. <laughs> well, and also, like, to your point, like, where did the, most of Michigan State's transfers start? The SEC. No, the sec, their secondary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The worst secondary right. in America. Yes. That's when that and that's the point. We were I was watching Michigan State tape in in prep for this for some reason, and like that was the major thing that stuck out is the transfers really did not mesh well with each other. You don't really know what you have until you have the guy on campus for a few years, and they're older players, so they've learned habits already, and that's kind of always been an issue. Right. So I I think if you're building out the transfer portal, hint hint Nebraska, you might not be as good as you think you are. All right. Alex, give me your hottest take. Well, Seth, I love this one. Nebraska will win the Big Ten West. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. So I like the hot take. It's still wrong. So here's the thing with uh, Nebraska. They have a really favorable first eight weeks, and that could set up momentum that gets them rolling. Right. They just need to, like, not lose every game by – Having some sort of Keystone Cops thing happen. They just, just need that to happen. They start just one thing. <laughs> they start with Northwestern in Ireland. They get North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma, but that doesn't matter for the Big Ten. Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois. They draw Rutgers and Indiana out of the East. They could be six and ones, something like that, at the midway point of the season, and then the momentum starts rolling. Adrian Martinez is back, right? He's no, gone, God, but they got a transfer. good transfer quarterback from Texas, Casey Thompson. They brought in Pitt's offensive coordinator, who was the mastermind of the Pickett-Addison passing offense last year. They get Wisconsin at home. 
It always looks good on paper, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at the fancy stats, they thought Michigan State and Nebraska were basically equivalent teams last year. Sure. And mm-hmm. like, but they were supposed to be seven and six teams, not eleven win teams. Wait, eight and four. One was lucky and one was not lucky. That's right, but yeah, Nebraska was worse than. Uh, it's a hot take. It's, it's a hot take. No, 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 no. But I want to make a point about Nebraska. I, my take on Nebraska and Scott Frost is that he's too good at game planning and not good enough at like the fundamentals. So like every single Nebraska game, I mean, they that's... come out and they have like some great scripted stuff at the beginning, uh-huh. and then they fall apart because their players don't even know the rules and like. <laughs> Oh, I need to hold on to the football. I'd believe that now. if you said it about James Franklin. <laughs> he's he's an underratedly bad coach. As far as like coaching these guys and how to play football, uh-huh. they're really good at all the paper stuff and all the stuff that bloggers love. Uh-huh. He's just terrible at the Kirk Ferentz stuff. And like uh-huh. that stuff actually matters in football. And uh-huh. they fall apart at the end of games. Their special teams was what second to last in the country. Yeah, last there's, year? they got they got to fix that. That's, they did that's commit not some resources to that too. They now have a coach, I believe, on that. Oh, and they well, got a transfer oh, they have a punter. Coach. So. <laughs> Coaches. Jason, give me your hottest take. Michigan will steal Iowa's thunder by visiting sick kids at the hospital near the stadium before the game. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to steal Iowa's juice. valor? So isn't That's that their superpower. Isn't that yeah, you don't want to look up at the hospital. Yeah, you don't want to look up at the hospital. So that's the thing. Like we we went into every hostile environment last year and stole their thunder. We, <laughs> we did. This is our way before the game because you know it's going to be a night game. Yeah. We, we drop by the hospital and visit some kids, bring them some joy, and be like, uh uh-uh, uh, you don't. You're not the only one who gets to wave up to those kids. We were just in there today. Oh man, oh. If, if they get those kids wearing Michigan swag, <laughs> one. One kid. Some There's going to be some kid with like shirts. some kid who's bald and holding up a sign that says "Go Hawkeyes" and like Mozzie Smith's going to rip it out of his hands and tear it up and give him a small Michigan flag. It's going to change his life. You know it what? Is, it's look. It, it it's not going to hurt for people to go visit people. Like that's a positive. So it's a plus no matter who you are and give people hope. I think as soon as the, the Michigan guys leave, the doctors are going to be like, "Do you want this kidney or not, kid?" <laughs> yeah. Randy, give me your hottest take. The Big Ten sends two teams to the college playoff this year. <laughs> wow. That is one of them Nebraska? <laughs> one of them is Nebraska. The other is Michigan. After they beat Ohio uh, no, State really, in the Big Ten championship? <laughs> I mean, I do think you will. I think both Michigan and Ohio State have a very good shot of being 11-0 entering that game. I think the game is close. I can't even tell you which way it's going to go, but I think it's going to be close, close enough that if Michigan loses that game in a close game at the shoe, you're going to have to seriously consider them. Now, I know their non-conference schedule sucked, but I do think Penn State's going to be good. I do think, like Alex said, I can see Nebraska being a top 25 team when you play them. Uh, I think Michigan State's going to just sadly stay, spend a lot of time in the top 25, and I do think Iowa's going to be a good team. So you will have Big Ten victories that are significant victories, and they're going to have to think hard. Clemson's going to have another bad year. That's that's my own person. Right. This, that's why it's such a hot take, but yeah. All right, here we go. Mel Pearson will be Michigan's football coach headed into the Ohio State game. With no contract. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what's going to happen? He's going to walk into the athletic department building. He's going to go up to Ward Manuel. He's going to say, now I'm the football coach. What are you going to do about it? Ward Manuel is going to be like, nothing, Nothing. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Warman's going to be like, leave the report on my desk. I'll get to it in three months. Nine <laughs> regents <laughs> and three Michigan presidents are going to stand in his way. <laughs> they were running the, you guys, they were doing the investigation. They were doing like, their due diligence. Everyone the, relax. They, the they the college hockey news diligence. guy reported, I think Adam Modon's his name, reported that they asked him to resign twice. And he said no. And I'm just like, <laughs> How, what do you <laughs> what is, what's going on here? Like, you ask the guy to resign. He's out of contract. Like going from A to B is not difficult. So I think I figure mm-hmm. that Mel Pearson can just do whatever he wants. So if you he wants to coach like, the Ohio State game, he gets to coach the Ohio State game. Do you think he's like the pirate and Captain Phillips? <laughs> I'm the football coach now. <laughs> So we'll see. If you can't get enough Sklaras, check out the Nosebleeds on UFC Fight Pass. It is a reincarnation of Cheap Seeps focused on USC. We are embedding the first episode in all of these posts. Check it out. It'll be worth your time. All right. So the final segment of our podcast is usually sort of a a wrap-up, how we're feeling, how we're feeling about the league and college football as a whole, et cetera. So we'll start off with predictions. Big Ten West winner, Alex well, my hot take was Nebraska, so I you're gonna stick with you it. Have to stick with it. Oh man, like that's sort of what I was thinking because you're, you're whoa, oh no, because I was looking at the schedule and we talked about this. Uh-huh. They get their big division games at home. Their crosses are yeah, they get Michigan, but they also get Indiana and Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, do I like that versus any of the other teams when everyone seems the same, but you maybe have a couple schedule wins? Like, and I just think at some point, like, you know, that was the thing about Harbaugh, right? Is it's always going to be like it's going to be with Harbaugh. And then last year it wasn't. It's true. And maybe this is Scott Frost's year. And I mean, like, you can go to Wisconsin, but I'm like, I don't trust Graham Mertz. And Minnesota, we talked multiple home losses. I just, you go down all the teams and I'm like, all right, fine. I don't trust Graham Mertz either, but I'm going with Wisconsin. Pretty safe bet. I mean, they figured something (laughs) out at running back midway through last year. I think their defense is still going to be really good. And I don't believe in anyone else's offense except so, maybe Purdue in this division. You're probably right. But I also What's didn't. It's a boring just, answer? No, no, no. It was just, it's probably the right answer. I just didn't. I figured it would probably be, oh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And so I was like, <laughs> I'll try to do something different. And then Alex beat me to it. Well, I mean, I, I have no faith in Iowa's offense. I have no faith in Minnesota's. Every year Iowa wins that division is like, whoa. And like. I mean, anything could happen here. I'm not super confident in Wisconsin, honestly, but like, <clears throat> honestly, if Mertz does get fixed a little bit, like, they're going to be all right. And his uh, burden is going to be a lot less than it was early last year because they do have a functional ground game now. So, so my buddy Josh and I used to do predictions for all the divisions in like Power Five or whatever, and we would predict who we think is going to win them. And when we got to the ACC Coastal, the rule was that I put all like the team names in a hat and we just pulled them out. And those are <laughs> our teams because it was like, well, these are, it could really be any of them. Yeah, like, and that's, that's how I feel about this division. Like one of Matt Hitton's Twitter bits is he's always pulling for the coastal, like every team in it to go six and six. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Right. And that's, doesn't this feel like that? Like you said, everyone's going to go eight, eight and four, four or seven and five. And I that's, mean, this, this does feel like there's with Illinois being half decent with, Northwestern probably getting up off the mat. Like, I don't know about Northwestern, but like it does feel like there isn't the traditional like doormat or two in yeah. this this division. Like none of the teams are good, but I don't think anyone's going one and eleven. So, all right, uh, East Division winner Alex. Just say it; it's okay. Uh, I'll I'll go, <laughs> I'll go with Ohio State because I think David's going to be the optimistic one. 
I, I had whoever wins that game. I mean, it's just going to be one of those two. I think that I'm more. We had a conversation earlier this summer, Alex, about how there are reasons to be optimistic for Michigan winning this game. And I mean, I'm not saying that they have like a 70% chance to win it, but like you look at the offense and it should be really, really good if Harbaugh's right and the defense does pop a little bit. I mean, they, they have as good a chance as any, as long as like their quarterbacks are healthy at the end of the year, like they were last year. And honestly, Michigan controlled the lines. And so, you know, I mean, Ohio State's going to be the favorite and they probably will win it. But I think that Michigan could very easily. And, and it would not be, I'll tell you what, how I was feeling last year about Michigan beating Ohio State in any year versus how right. this year, this would not be a surprise. I mean, I guess I guess it would be a surprise. It wouldn't be a shock, is what. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so I'm. I think, I think we're all we're, we're all on the same page here. Is that the game is the conference championship game? Yeah, and but this year, are you more confident in picking Michigan than you were last year? Well, yeah, but that's probably not for good reasons. Like you know, I think I had been so beaten down psychologically that I wasn't able no, to. No, you hadn't been so beaten down. Everyone, well, yeah, like put well, on just, that jersey or I'm those colors every year. Like and, a, but now you're like, hey, this could happen. But then you look at it, and then there's like, now there might be reasons it could happen. Well, I mean, there are reasons that it would happen that we've talked about incessantly after it happened, but it was hard to see it as even possible. Now, clearly, it's possible. All right, so I think we're all on the same page with this division, and we're just going to say that the winner of the game wins the division. Is there any chance that anyone else pokes their head up and makes it interesting? I don't think so. Okay. Well, then, uh, do we want to predict the Big Ten championship game? I'm going to go with the East winner. Oh. <laughs> I'm guessing. A that... bold and refreshing take. <laughs> you know me. All right, Michigan's record. IA had 11-1 and one and hailed the victor, so I'm sticking with that. 11-1. and one. Yep. You're going into Columbus, and you're saying that's, you know, not Michigan's not going to be favored in that game, and you're like, everything else is fine. That's what I have. Okay. So... I agree, 11-1. and one. I think that if everything goes well for them, maybe they slip up and they can't be perfect against Ohio State. But like last year where you didn't necessarily think they should have, quote-unquote, been 11-0 going into that game, they weren't, and then they end up winning it. So I will not. I will say 11-1, and one, one of those two ways. I mean, for me, it's 10-2 and two seems the most likely because you have a number of games where stupid crap can happen, like yep. Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa... Maryland even like the Rutgers game was competitive last year. I, I feel like there's just, it's just really hard to project it, project anyone short of Alabama or Ohio state to lose one game in a season. Losing to Rutgers and then winning in Columbus would be some kind of season. <laughs> well, that's correct. <laughs> that would be weird. All right. Offensive MVP, Alex. I was thinking about it. Eric all Eric all. Okay. The, the mix of blocking, I, the receiving. I, I know Seth is sad to have missed this podcast, but he's here in spirit. <laughs> I think Eric All helps make the running game go, and then what he'll give them on third down, things like that. That's that's a good pick. Are you talking about who they hand it out to, or who like the real MVP? Is? The real MVP. Your MVP. The best player. The the guy who pro football focus in UFR is like. Into. So the problem that Michigan has is they have so many players, and That's true. like even at quarterback, like you could pick either one and be correct or really wrong. Yes, this is an extremely difficult question, which bodes well. So I went with the guy who I know is going to touch the ball on every play unless he gets hurt, and that's Uluwatimi. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. You Just because, I, I mean, how many touches do you know Corum or Edwards is going to get? How many, who's going to lead the team in receptions? I mean, you think it's probably Bell, but like, I don't know. We thought it was going to be Nico and DPJ, and then it was Bell. And I mean, then you have Eric All. Like, well, Eric, have, don't get me started on that. That's, but my point is, is that we don't really know. And, and, and Eric All is a great answer because he was on my top two or three that I was going to pick too. And I was like, well, but the reason that this team was so good last year was their offensive line. And supposedly they've upgraded at center. This guy was going to be probably a first or second round pick if he would have gone out last year. Yeah. So, I mean, if they can run the ball against like Penn State, Michigan State, Iowa, he's probably one of the main reasons why. And the I mean, you are banking on a Remington finalist, so it's not bad. And then, you know, it doesn't matter who has the ball behind him. Um, I mean, I mean, <laughs> okay, but you know what I'm saying. Not not as a quarterback, but like if they give that it to That will quorum, be proven true when Leon Franklin runs for 230 yards. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the, the top two options is like last year. Do you give it to Corum? Do you give it to Haskins? Well, they're better in different situations, but it's hard to pick a wrong answer. Well, my answer, so there are, I have three guys who are very close. One for M, one for V, and one for P? Sure. My real answer is, is Blake Corn. I mean, because yeah, that's what I was thinking. But. You know, I feel like it's the obvious answer, but it happens to be the correct answer. Unprecedented UFR grading. Uh, I think he was the either the first or second rated running back in the country to pro football focus, and Haskins was first or second as well. And a guy who is going to be moving from a true sophomore to a true junior is going to be in an offense that is now going to be built around his talents. And of all the various targets Michigan is going to have, I think Corum is the one guy who you're like, yes, this guy is going to touch the ball a lot. And and I think there's a big gap between Edwards and Corum just in terms of running the ball. And I think that's going to running the ball. I know. And I, I, and Edwards is going to be a big part of the offense, but just in terms of like, if you look back on, the season and you're like, I got to pick one guy who's a reason this offense is really good. I'm going to go play Corum. Now the other two guys who are close, but not my answers are Cornelius Johnson. Really? And Zach Zinter. <laughs> so you also went O-line. Well, if you just, the kind of things that people have said about Zinter, his immediate accession into to playing time and the way he was able to play last year, despite having a cast on his hand. Yeah. Like, and not like a dinky cast, like a full on club. Like that's, the kind of stuff that always produces stars. So, you know, he's a guy who I think is going to be a true junior this year, going to, and super young for an OL, already battle-tested, probably going to blow up, be an All-American level player. And then I pick Johnson over Bell just because I think he is more physically talented. And the kinds of things he was able to do with his route running last year, I think are going to pay off this year if McNamara is going to be a little bit more daring downfield. You know, he got opened by yards and yards, and he's six foot two, and he toasted Kyle Hamilton in the high school. Like he toasted uh, uh, Ohio State cornerback straight up on that fly route. Like, there's a lot to like with him. I I feel like he's a guy who could play himself into the first round, and I know I've said this before, but yeah, he's uh, he's up there. But my real answer is Corum, defensive MVP, Alex. Uh, I assume some of you will be going with defensive tackle people. So I'm, <laughs> no, just say your answer. I, the one I like is is Rod Moore. Um, the way that Whoa. he was able to come through last year as a true freshman. I was doing this for football bits recently, looking at the what um, who's the safeties coach now? It's not Ron Bell. Clinkscale. 
yeah, I think he's all... Anyway, it was Clink Scale, I think it was, was giving a press conference, and he was, like, talking about this year's DB crop as the freshman, right, and talking about him and, and where they are along, and he had a quote that was like, well, Rod was different last year. Like, he was just different than any true freshman he'd seen in terms of what Moore was able to pick up as quickly as he did. And then he got on the field, hung in there as a true freshman against some really good wide receivers. I'm buying the jump. I think he'll be really good. I think he'll take that Dax role in the slot. Not not as good as Dax, but he'll play that role and do it okay uh-huh. and fill a need in the defense. Uh, all the intangibles are there. I mean, if that if that prediction is accurate, I'm going to be very happy because that's one of the w- worry spots I have. If that prediction is accurate, I mean, then our going into Columbus seems a lot more plausible. <laughs> uh, how about you, Dave? So this was, like, tough because, I mean, you talked about going to the defensive tackle, and I thought about that, and, like, there's, there's, last year, you could easily pick out two or three guys, and you'd be, you would have been right. This year was a little different, so I wrote down a few, but, I mean, I'm probably leaning Turner. Just, he may not be, like, make them, have the most interceptions or make the most tackles or things like that, but, you know, the hype for him seems to be pretty real, and, I mean, if you have a corner that takes away a guy most of the time like that you can do a lot of other things with your defense and it allows you to do stuff especially if they're going to have to create pass rush out of either blitzes or um like exotic packages and stuff like that um i I, like i i wrote down more too in moat and i said if one of those guys takes the leap it could, could easily be them and i mean you know mozzie's on it i this seems like Last year was there were stars on the defense. This year, if the defense is good, it's going to be because everyone is like contributing at a high level. Yeah, I mean, I think DJ Turner is the answer here. He's the one established high level player, and it was hard to see this, but like in terms of UFR grading, in terms of Pro Football Focus grading, and just in terms of the eye test, like he was also on that freaks list. So he's an established high level performer who PFF had as a third team All American, who's also on Feldman's freaks list. So. That checks all the boxes. I think DJ Turner is the answer. All right, now, who's your dude? We got one on offense and one on defense. We're going to go offense first. Alex, your dude. Um, this is like your most like irrationally optimistic projection for which is who you like better than everybody else, you think? Uh, I think I'm going to go with my pick from Hill the Victors, which is Trenty Jones. I really like him. I loved his recruiting profile. He took the right tackle job without any fanfare on a team that has some players. I think he's gonna gonna be really good this year. All right, Alex. I mean, Dave. Do we look this? Alex. <laughs> I didn't know if this was like a Jeopardy thing. Just, just ah. Answer the question, Dave. So when we were prepping this, you we were trying to define what this means, and you said, "Well, whose jersey would you buy?" And since my friend literally brought bought me a Blake Corum jersey this year, I mean, that's my guy. I watched him last year, and I was just like. I love watching him play, and when people are talking to me in the offseason about Michigan's offense, I was like, I mean, have you ever seen a running back at Michigan do that? His In my tenure, I mean, people talked about Wheatley, and that was very, very early in when I was watching football, but my comp to him in terms of explosiveness and score on every play is Denard. Like, he would get the ball, hit a hole, and you're like, well, he's gone, and that's what it feels like with Corum. Like, you get him the ball, and that's why you're probably right when you said offensive MVP is probably Corum, because... I mean, that's just, he's lightning in a bottle. And there's debates if he can get short yardage stuff and that kind of thing. And those are probably, you know, well debated. But I mean, man, when he gets the ball, you got to watch every time. And I just, I could watch him play football a lot. The guy I'm pounding the table for is Kalel Mullings. 
because Michigan. So this is who you're rooting for. No, this is this is the guy who I'm just like. I feel like my take is the most hot about just in terms of like who I think is going to perform. Cause I saw him in the spring game and it doesn't necessarily pop on tape, but when you watched him live, it was like, Oh, this guy and <clears throat> Michigan needs a short yardage back. This guy is two thirty-five, like, and was able to pop outside the tackles ran a lot in high school is a guy who was constant Notre Dame recruited to play tailback. Like my take here is that he's the short yardage back this season. And then next year, it's like an Edwards slash Mullings show. Because Corm's gone. Because Corm's yeah, Corm's in the NFL yep. next year. And then you know, I, I think he's he's going to be like one B to Edwards is one A next year. I mean, if they get that out of him, <laughs> that's just like fewer touches for everyone. Uh, all right, a defensive guy. <laughs> this is where everyone should just say TJ guy. Um, I think I'm going to go with. Nakai Hill Green that you know he didn't I thought he was brought off the field almost too much last year uh, given what our grades were for him in UFR and things like that and he doesn't get talked about as much because Junior Colson uh, obviously has the high upside but Hill Green's a little further along as an older player and there's been some good practice buzz about him I think he's going to be a steady borderline all Big Ten caliber linebacker all right you're a defensive guy Dave all right I'm I did not buy a defensive jersey, so I have to give you a different rationale. Okay. But the guy that I'm like really rooting for is that is Jamon Green. Like I want he's I we've been rewatching the season and he's shown some like flashes here or there where you see him coming up and making a big hit. He's always seems to be in the right place and then absolutely phases out chanting stribbling style and like the guy catches the ball. I think he sees the ball this year. Okay. And then he knocks it down or picks it off or whatever sure. he needs to do. But, I mean, this is, what, year five or six for him? He was in the 18 class. So, you know, you get that senior year from guys who've been around a long time. Brandon Watson, you know, all of a sudden became a guy in his last year. Yeah. And Green has always had the athleticism. It's just, you know, does his mind go blank when the ball's within five feet of him? Okay. Yeah, that's good. My, my guy is Chris Jenkins. So I have to – I'm, like, obligated to do this because he was sleeper of the year couple years back and now he's 290 starting and the thing that caused me to pick him is that he was just the kind of guy who had all the bloodlines his his father was an nfl player as an ol i believe and uh i don't know if, I don't, he was he a lineman i don't remember yeah, he was offensive played for the jets yeah but uh and he just needed time and he needed weight and now he's pushing 290 i think he's 292 or something like that and he's he's been flashing like, he flashed in the Georgia game. He flashed in the spring game. He's a guy who I think, you know, if Mozzie Smith is going to just bowl a guy back in the quarterback, that's great. Chris Jenkins is the guy who I think can give you some of that Mohar stuff where he's able to just teleport into the backfield. And I think that's going to be really important on a team that doesn't look like it's going to get a ton of organic edge rush. So, Well, and we've seen what Michigan's looked like without great defensive tackles. And if now they have two, that changes sort of the – construct of the defense all right alex what scares you the most i'm gonna stick with the theme we had from the offense show which is just the idea that we're living in 2019 all over again and that there's new coordinator question marks and that the the offense is less than the sum of the parts that it just is a little it just doesn't quite come together and it's not the offense that we want it to be i think if you get an injury on offense it 
there may be a spot or two where you really, really, you may not want it, but for the most part, they're really deep, but I don't feel that way about the defense. And if they get a bad injury at the wrong spot on defense, like it probably Linebacker. doesn't backer. <laughs> I mean, anywhere in the front seven, really like weak side end. But I mean, like if Turner goes out, have a player there. If Turner goes out, even like I mean, so well, if Turner goes out, you have Will Johnson and Jamon Green, so you're probably okay. Maybe I mean we're I mean we think Johnson's probably gonna be good, but like taking your A one corner out is like a drop off. It's a drop off, but in terms of like what happens if Mozzie Smith goes down? Well, that you know that, or even one of the safeties. I mean, how many safeties do they have that are at least you have some talent? Yeah, like people are talking up Page a little bit now, and like. Got. People talked up Jeter forever too. I mean, I I'm just Jeter was a functional player. But we've seen so many players on offense at every position that if they lose one, you fill a guy in, and maybe he's not right right, right. there. I mean, but they he's lost pretty Ronnie close. Bell in the first game last year, and it was fine. Right, and 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 that if you get the wrong spot, like you said, Mozzie or something like that, or Inside a linebacker, linebacker, either defensive tackle, it's, Mike Morris probably is up right. there too. It's just not as deep, and they could figure something out, and maybe they'll still win games, but. That's the part that I'm like, all right. You know, like, I mean, the Grant Newsom injury, how much did that change that year? Like, I mean, that, that's that's my answer, too, is front yeah. seven injuries yeah. on defense. Because their starting seven there looks pretty solid. Like, going to be a big drop-off at weak side end in particular. And, you know, Mike Morris isn't going to be Aiden Hutchinson. But other than that, it's like, all right, I, I can get behind this. And then, you know, what, why is Khalil Mulling still practicing a linebacker? Because they have almost... Because it's like, oh, man, that's not great. So, yeah, that's that's my answer, too. All right, guys. Do you have more questions? No, that's it. Do you want me to have more questions? I like talking about football. All right, how many toes do you think we lose this? No. <laughs> that's gruesome. It's gruesome, but it happens. Could be true. Do they get frozen off like the coldest? The coldest Crawford. All right, guys. Well, that's it for the season preview. Looks like it'll be an entertaining year. Uh, comes down to going into Columbus and doing what they did last year. Uh, good luck. I mean, if that. it comes if it comes down to that, like that would be two years in a row that after a couple of years where everyone's like Michigan football's dead. I don't know. You're you're one couple plays. I mean, that was a 16 game. Is one play away, and I mean they they won it last year, and I mean that's a not a bad spot to be in for this program. No, especially now that they've, I think, re- you know, regained some tactical parity. I mean, they were obviously f- tactically superior last year, but you know, Don Brown against Ryan Day was just never going to work out. And then we got back to what it was kind of like early in the Harbaugh era, where you know they played that game with John O'Corn. They would have won that with any other quarterback, right? I mean, sixteen two. Yeah, and you know they, they have a broken Wilton Spate, and they almost win that game too. So I think. You give him Cade in either of those games, and, right. and Harbaugh is three and three against. Well, and then you have so. you have Don Brown against a JT Barrett, and that works out pretty well, right? Like because the way he runs his defense, it's like, all right, we're going to man him up, and we're going to make him make these throws, and those kind of quarterbacks weren't very good at that. And then they bring in Kevin Wilson and Don Brown, and they move to the CJ Stroud, like uh, Justin Fields, kind of Haskins, that kind of throwing first quarterback they drop most of the quarterback run out of their offense and they just shred don brown and so we've gone to this raven style of defense we're sticking with it and they're sticking with their passing approach which is logical because they have the best wide receiver core in the country over here (laughs) and maybe quarterback (laughs) and maybe quarterback and but it feels like 
much more even footing. Like, I don't think we're going to go into a game with the number one defense in the country and give up 56 points. Also, do you know how many turnovers Michigan got against Ohio State last year? Uh, zero? Yeah. So, so at some point, if they get turnovers, that even more changes it. Well, guys, we'll see you on the flip side after week one. MGO podcast for Brian Cook, Alex Drain, I'm David Nasternak. Positivity on MGO blog? What is this? Thank you.